Oh, you mean like ready, ready? Oh, like right now. Hey, strangers. <laughs> Welcome to smooth. the strange sessions. <laughs> the smooth I thought, sessions. I was waiting for the music to kick in for so I thought I was going to oh. like hear the music. I didn't realize. When okay, you that's said, weird. That's... I didn't realize when you said ready, you meant ready, ready. Like, like right, right now. now. What is up, saintly strangers? Saintly. I, saintly. They are saintly. Sweet. Spooky saintly. strangers. Spooky, it's spooky saintly season. Strangers. It is spooky season. When I stepped out of my apartment this morning, I was like, dang. Yeah. It felt like late October. Mm-hmm. It was chilly. Mm-hmm. Leaves were like blowing on the ground already. Heaven. So it was heaven. really cool. And then it's going to be 88 on Monday. So I we've know. got that going My first day it. back at school and it's going to be hot and humid. <sighs> but hey, strangers, I am Kurt. And with me as always, who are you? I'm Krista. That's Krista. Oh, and by the way, if you don't want to listen to our shenanigans at the beginning of the episode and you want to skip to the topic, hit pause, check the show notes. We won't be offended. No, we won't. Mildly offended, maybe, but not super offended. We'll secretly hold a grudge yes, forever and ever. I'm jumping right into shout outs because we're going to have three taste tests today. So we're going to have to get okay. on the road. Yeah, we, ha- <laughs> we already started recording for the unedited version and we're like uh, 12 minutes yeah, in. Yeah, we talked we a lot for the unedited version. And I'm taking test video for I a didn't project. get the two latest. Somebody <laughs> joined the strangers yesterday and then somebody joined this morning. So those will be in next the next episode okay but for now shout outs to our newest strangers and those are rebecca adams bryant samantha johnson darren ang i'm trying to think about this last name a-n-g-u-i-g-e ang angui anguige i have to be able to see it a-n-g-u-i-g-e darren anguige sure shelly matthews Lucho Santa Cruz and a shout out to Buenos Aires. He's he I think that's a, he is in Buenos Aires. I think so. And Emily Justine. Thank you guys so much for joining the strangers. Yeah, it's we've just, had an uptick in yeah, strangers. Yeah, and it's lately. weird because we were for the last couple episodes there's been like nobody or maybe one or two people right. at best. And Spotify's and, really been Yeah, Spotify's been helping us out. And so, also all the sins of Wisconsin. Yes, all the sins of Wisconsin. If you haven't listened to them, go listen to them. They are awesome. Uh, it's like true crime stuff based around Wisconsin. I've messages, I've messages, I've messaged back and forth with them, and they are super cool. Uh, I have a couple things for housekeeping, but I know you want to jump on something too. Oh, the book club! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we just talked about this, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. So we met. We've mentioned. Do we mention it in the regular episode or I the think side so. session? I, okay. I think it was in a regular episode. So we talked about doing a book club, and we got. A, a lot of responses like yes you guys want once us to do this and once a month yes it will be once a month we don't have like a set date for when we're going to actually release the first episode but we think we're ready to tell you what we want the first book to be so if you guys want to um go out is and, it the one you're reading yeah should we start with that one that's a long one so okay and we could wait until like october maybe yeah to do it okay um so the first book of the book club and have we settled on the name of the I thought we did, but I don't remember now. Well, we're tentatively thinking about something super simple, The Strangers Book Club. Yeah. I know. I also like Check It Out with Kurt and Krista. I like Check It Out with Kurt and Krista, too. We'll come up with it before (laughs) before that show starts. I like something that kind of speaks to what the the podcast is about. Because Check It Out could be anything. But it means library books. Yeah. Ooh, I see. Yeah. Well, maybe... I mean, I, yeah, it would be weird if people just joined because they wanted to join a book club and they yeah. knew nothing about yeah. the strange sessions. Hey, that's cool. So that's true. Maybe there should be book club in the. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll get. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get. We to always that. do somehow. Um. Anyway, the first the book that we're reading right now that Kurt 
read and got <laughs> out from the library for me to read, but I have to now order on Amazon because I didn't read it fast enough. <laughs> it's a, it is. It's a long book. And two weeks was not enough for me to get through it because I only read before bed. But it's called The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Yes. Um, it's a good book. It's a good book. But it's... it's I haven't gotten to the end yet. It's also con- uh, kind of convoluted. It's twisty-turny. It's twisty-turny. Um, I use that page towards the front of the book a lot where oh, it had yes. like the invitation yes. for the ball like Agreed. who's all there and who mm-hmm. they are because it's kind of an like, Agatha Christie yeah totally it's like it like, it's a like all the reviews say it's like a cross between Agatha Christie and like Groundhog Day or Quantum Leap yes oh you yeah know? that's a great description so, so the seven and a half yep. deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle yep. is the first book for the book club um we'll give you till probably some when is our we should look at the schedule so October 22nd, you want to have the book read by October 22nd. And this is not going to be like a a, co- a coffee thing. No, this We're just going to release this yeah. to everybody. Yeah. It will be a free podcast. It's only going to probably be like 20 minutes or so. Yeah. So if you want to jumpstart on it now, the book is going to be The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Yes. And we would love to hear voicemails from you yes. on your review of and, the yeah, book. We want reviews. We want to know what you Send guys us think. Emails. That's what we're going to kind of do during the episode and, yeah. and stuff like that. So we're excited. Maybe awesome. this won't go anywhere, but we're both total bookworms yes. and we're excited and to be able I, It'll to help me books. read more because that is something I want to do. Yeah. So, okay. Awesome. Cool. Um, That's my housekeeping. I actually had housekeeping. I have the podcast award thing, but we're not going to talk about that because nope. we missed it. Yep, we um, I haven't well, I had. Guess we could talk about it. Hey, next year, vote for us in the paranormal, paranormal, paranormality, paranormality podcast. podcast awards. Yeah, because we, missed... we usually don't care about that, but it would no. be cool to it see our cool. show on like a list. For, Even like, if we a, just a got nominated, podcast. yeah, it would be awesome just seeing somebody. But seeing we missed it the vote. <laughs> yeah, we missed the boat, as we often do. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we don't run a real tight <laughs> ship here. No. If you're if you're expecting professionalism, you're in the wrong place. Yeah, you are. Um, I haven't. Had, you know what's weird? I was thinking about this on the drive down here. I haven't had any synchronicities lately like oh, nothing hmm. uh the only one i have and this is like a constant one that's really weird is with the sofa king podcast where like i'm taught i'm thinking about doing something for a topic and then they do it oh interesting and today's side sessions i'm super annoyed about because i've been i started this like a couple weeks ago already and i'm like cool nobody's gonna do this and then they did an episode sofa king podcast did an episode about burt reynolds and then they started diving into what I'm talking about. And I was so, so, so annoyed huh. because I'm like, what are the odds? Yeah, that that seems obscure to me. Yes. Who talks about Burt Reynolds or anything associated well, with Sofa that? Well, Sofa King started with like paranormal stuff, true crime stuff. But then yeah. they, they're, they're over like 600 episodes. So you they're running they out of stuff out of to episodes. do. But their episodes about boring stuff like Burt Reynolds are really good. Like mm. I love that podcast. But I could not believe they started diving into what I'm going to talk about today on our side session. So mm. it just super, super annoyed me. But anyway, that's enough of my rant for that. <laughs> um, the other thing I have in housekeeping is we got a voicemail. Oh, yeah, that's right. And in the last episode, we got a really sweet postcard from Stranger Matt that lives down south i believe and talked about how you cannot understand it took a while to like understand us or like to get our accents our accents like they're not used to and he said i sound like kermit the frog oh that's the one and that they're not used to like northern accents which i totally get that's really funny which i totally get Mm -hmm. so then this week i was checking the voice the google voice and we got a voicemail so here is this awesome voicemail we got hi old kermit the frog here I just wanted to call and say, first off, uh, I love the show. 
you guys are fantastic. I'm not a real big Facebook kind of guy, so I'm not a part of the strangers there on Facebook. But, um, Kurt, I just wanted to say something. I know that you mentioned um, in the last episode that you feel like you sound like me. Man, I, I just don't hear the – I don't hear it. Um, but anyway, I uh, just wanted to say keep up the great work and stay strange. Oh my God! <laughs> I laughed so hard when I listened to that. I don't That's know who that. Darn good. I don't know who that is, but no. that is like a really, really good Kermit the Frog. One hundred percent. And part of me was like, "Is that the actual guy that voices Kermit the Frog now?" Right. I don't know, but that was. I laughed so damn. That's hard. That's really funny. I laughed so well, hard. Thanks so, for the voicemail, Kermit. Our first celebrity, <laughs> our first celebrity voicemail, and it is Kermit the Frog. Kermit so, the Frog. I still think I sound like you, Kermit, but oh, <laughs> even funny. after listening that voicemail i'm like i kind of sound like kermit that's weird i don't hear it but i totally do know Hmm. but i don't know who did that but that was amazing so thank you so much kermit love you give miss piggy some love and she deserves it yeah right i mean she's a little neurotic but whatever a little bit just a tiny bit okay i'm gonna stop the video here um okay what else taste tests yes I love the Kermit the Frog voice. Yes, that was hilarious. Um, taste tests. This for, we have three of them today, and some of these we've been trying to get to forever. Uh, we're going to save that one for last then. Yeah, I think, correct. Yep, I think so. So this one is from my cousin's son, Taylor. Okay. And he saw this and immediately thought of us, as people do when they see this kind of so product. So it's pickles? No. Oh. What else do we get? Um, bugs? <laughs> no. What other, what other stuff do we always get? Oh my god! <laughs> Good catch. Oh, I caught it! Wow! Oh, Bigfoot. Okay, the original bag of poo. Oh we my get, god! We've it's eaten. So cute. We have eaten so much Bigfoot we've eaten poop so on much, this podcast. Yes, wow, we've eaten a lot of Bigfoot poop. Okay. Oh my gosh, the lighting down here is terrible. It looks like like cotton candy. I love this bag and it's, so much. And it's one of my favorite flavors, black cherry. Like I love anything black cherry flavored. I'm fairly sure that actual Bigfoot poop would not be black cherry flavored unless he was eating a lot of cherries i don't know could be i mean i feel like animal scat usually contains whatever their diet consists of right true okay ready oh look at that right open right i'm I'm excited about this i think it's going to be sugary and sweet and i think it's going to be awesome (sighs) okay but we have eaten an inordinate amount of bigfoot poop Oh, yeah, it totally looks like... Cotton candy? Cotton candy. I'm going to save that bag. Yeah, it's super cute. We should actually put that on the, yeah. on the uh, whiteboard. Oh, the lighting down here. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it looks like wool. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> We're not eating or fiberglass. It's totally it looks like fiberglass. Candy. Yeah. It looks like... Um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Like fiberglass um, insulation. Yeah, it does look like insulation. <laughs> Funny. Ready? It doesn't even smell like anything. Oh, I, I smell just a hint of the cherry. Ready? Yep. Oh my god. Wow. You know how long so it's been? So good. Since I, I the last cotton candy I probably had is the pickle stuff. Mm. I love it anything. Really I love anything black cherry flavored, and this is amazing. Mm. It is really good. I'm taking another big chunk. It it's literally like melting. It mouth. does. Like this whole chunk will turn into like nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! You can have the rest of that. That's a ten out of ten. It is really good. Oh my good. god, that's so good. Taylor, thank you. It's not as like cloyingly sweet as the black cherry flavor is perfect. Yeah, it's really good. Oh my god, it's mm. so good. 
We've had some good Bigfoot poop on here. <laughs> yeah. Taylor, thank you so much. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot poop comes in a variety of flavors like chocolate, black cherry. Mm-hmm. I know we've had like chocolate nugget type things. Those were delicious. This next one, Corey got us. Okay. And this is the one that I am like stupidly excited for. <laughs> stupidly excited stupidly excited we need something to hand stuff to each other oh hey i wanted to give a, a shout out to andrew who sent me he sent us an email mm-hmm. he's from michigan because he heard us talking about how surprised we were that michigan has so many bigfoot sightings and he sent me a couple of photos i think it's a photo of the same print that they found and they were just walking through the woods not looking for anything in particular so that was kind of cool to hear his story and see the photos so thanks andrew yeah thanks for the email Okay, ready? Yep, I'm ready. Oh, wow. Kurt's getting up and walking over here. Ooh, it's a candy bar of some kind. You know I'm going to be excited. Hammond's chicken and waffles. Chicken and waffle candy bar. What? With maple syrup. Chicken and waffles, milk, chocolate with maple syrup. Where did he find this? Uh, I don't remember. He was in Ohio. I think a couple weeks ago and he found it somewhere like I'm excited about this because I love anything chicken flavored like chicken in a biscuit like wow. I can't even have a box of that at home because I will eat the whole box in one sitting I love anything that has like that chicken, chicken broth flavor? flavor yeah okay I'm I'm this is crazy I'm excited about this yeah I am too okay okay Ooh, it splits right in half too okay <laughs> Corey said his guess is, oh, I can totally smell, I can totally smell like a little chicken flavoring in there. Corey says his guess is that it'll be more maple than chicken flavored. Probably. But I don't know, a mixture of chocolate, maple, and chicken flavor. I am so excited for this. This is something like I think I would genuinely buy all the time. Okay, are you ready? Yep. Hmm. I don't really get a whole lot of chicken. No. Oh, a little bit. I'm I'm waiting for the chicken. Oh, there's a savory element, I will say. I don't know that it's necessarily chicken. I'm getting a little bit of like like a chicken and a biscuit flavor where it's like salty and chickeny. But it's like a real little hint of it. I think this is so good. I mean, it's delicious. I don't, I'm not getting as much maple as I thought. Nope. I mostly just taste chocolate, chocolate and salt. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not going to complain about Mm-mm. that. That's delicious. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't get chicken at all or maple. Honestly. I get a hint. I get a hint of chicken. It tastes like you just had a, a, a handful of chicken and a biscuit crackers and then ate a part <laughs> of a candy bar. That's what it tastes like. I'm getting. I'm getting a lot of chicken aftertaste. I get a savory note. I just don't know that I would call it chicken. I'm going to give it an eight just because I don't taste the flavors that they're like waffle. I don't get waffle at all. I think that's where the maple syrup is supposed to come in. Yeah. But it's delicious. So I'm still giving it an eight. I'm going to give it a nine. I wish it was a little more chickeny. 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 But I'm going to give it a nine. (laughs) I think this is good. Like I would. Oh, I like the salt flavoring and Mm -hmm. like the salt and the chocolate. There. Oh, man. There is something about. I mean, (laughs) salty, sweet. Is yeah. amazing, but it, sh- specifically chocolate if, with salt. Is it was so a good. little more chickeny. I would give it a ten, but I think this is really, really good. Mm, yeah, I would buy this all the time. Good one, Corey. Mm. We like. Um, okay, what's next? Is that are we onto this box here? We are onto that box. Okay. 
Which means I'm going to struggle just a, for a minute or two. And this one was sent to us by Michelle. And this was sent to us a while ago. We're just getting to it now. Yeah, we we still have taste tests from Norway. We got taste tests still from Brian. From, yes, from Mexico. I think Coleman maybe yeah. still. So we still have, <laughs> we have a and, lot of taste and tests. Stephanie. We have stuff from oh, Stephanie yes. yet. Oh my gosh, we have more than taste tests from Stephanie, yeah. I think. Me start working on this box. I gotta stand up. Oh, I'm loving this chicken candy bar. I think it's the quite unusual podcast. Do you follow them? Yeah. Um, I think they just went to that John yep. Tenney yep. uh talk too yep. that one of our strangers talked about. I'm jealous. Okay, so these I never are the... I've, I've we went uh we went to the one paranormal conference, I think it was near Madison or something. We went to that's where we saw um Lloyd Orbach? Orbach speak. Oh, interesting. But like going to like the the conventions isn't my thing, you know? I think it would be fun to go just to go. Yeah. Not to have like a booth. Yeah. <laughs> Although people probably would like it if we did that. Yeah. I would want to go because I'm just a fan of the paranormal. I'm bumping this candy bar up to a nine and a half because I really okay. like that. Okay. So our next ta- taste test is. This was sent in by Michelle. Stranger Michelle. I don't know Michelle. how to pronounce that. Pachekic? Pachekic? P-E-C-H-K-E-K-S. Pacheck. Sure. Misfortune cookies. They bite back is what it says. And she, I think she is the one who, or she said she wouldn't be offended if we didn't want to try them because they're supposed to be. An after effect. Yes. Which we're about to find out. They are misfortune cookies. Ooh, they come in a little black. Oh, they're cute. Oh, hopefully I didn't break it. I got to take a picture of this. I'm running out of room over here. Oh, we have to open this, too. Yeah. It has, like, a little... <laughs> it's cute. I just like the little monster on the package. It's a cute fortune How cookie. would you pronounce that? Pachekex? Pachekex. 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 Sure. Oh, they are black. Wow. I gotta take a picture of that. So I wonder if your fortune is always bad. I don't know. They are called out. misfortune cookies. Oh, okay, ready? Hold ready. On, I gotta crack mine open. Did you take a picture of it? Yep. Oh. Mm. See, like, I love fortune cookies. Me too. And that's a good fortune cookie. They have a really good crunch, and they're just subtly sweet. Mm. Yeah, I love a fortune cookie. So does it have a fortune? Yeah. Oh, it does. Mine says, your years of plenty are yet to come. Plenty of bad luck, that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> crap, mine's so small, I can barely read it. I literally, I have to take a picture and zoom in because it's so small that I can't read it. You don't have friends, just people who feel sorry for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Alrighty then. Your mouth... It's totally black. Is it? Okay. Yep. I got to eat the other half and then we'll, <laughs> I'll come over there and we'll take a picture. Mm. That's a good fortune cookie. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Again, subtly sweet. Oh, funny. Wow, my tongue is black. <laughs> <laughs> Are my teeth black? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so weird. My tongue is so black. That's funny. <laughs> those are good. I'm gonna give those a. I'm gonna give those a ten out of ten as far as fortune cookies. Yeah, the ten fortune, out of ten. The fortunes are funny, and it's a good cookie. And I'm it cool with my cookie. tongue being totally black. 
It looks like I have some weird disease. Black tongue disease. Oh, and I licked the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your teeth are black too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. I gotta see if we can see that. In... <laughs> oh, funny. It'd be fun. If there's ever a podcast that we're like jealous of and they're at a convention, we'll go there and give them these before Here, they start ha- yeah. talking. Here, have a, for- have a couple fortune cookies. Have a couple cookies. fortune cookies. People will be like, what's wrong with those guys? Okay, one more package. Wow, that was really good. My tongue is so black. That was delicious. Um, okay. Killing Miss and Hidden sent us a package. Brad, Mr. Brad. What's up, Brad? What's up, Brad? We know what this is because we had a conversation about this, but we're going to open it on air anyway. Come on. He's, he's helping us out with our endeavor to do better merchandise. Our endeavor to do better. And so he sent us some t-shirts. Love it. I think this one's mine. This one is yours. I'm going to chuck it at you. Yes. Nice catch. Look at all this stuff I have over here. I'm like buried in boxes and bags. I love this shirt. Holy cow. Oh, that's really, that is a really nice shirt. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I probably could have gone with a smaller size. Look at, it's got Bigfoot on it. That is so cool. Mine's got, mine's got an alien. Did you see mine? No. Okay, we will put these on next time we record, and we'll take pictures with us wearing them. But I'm also going to take a picture. Oh, he said when it comes out of the bag, it has a funky smell, but that will go away. That's right. I like the smell. Mine says, <laughs> sometimes it's not just a dream with an alien looking at you. <laughs> it says, Kill. I like the, I like the, the sleeve oh, logo. Cool. Brad, these are yeah, nice. Yeah, these are really nice quality. Thank so you he, so much, Brad. So he sent these as sort of like an example. Of, yeah. So that we could see the quality of and these are what awesome. he goes with. Yeah. So I'm going to, I will take a picture after. Okay. Take a picture of mine too. Brad, thank you so much. That's actually a really creepy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Creepiest alien ever. I'm going to have to wear that at school. We're 36 minutes in. Minus 12. It'll be yes. another half hour. Yes. And there'll be some yep. editing. Okay. Yep. Are we finally done with all of our I stuff? I think so. Brad, these are awesome. Thank yeah, you thank so you, much. I'm going to totally wear mine at school. Kids oh, are going to love the kids. Are gonna, that's a creep. Like you just said, that's a creepy alien Super on there. creepy. I would not want to wake up to see that thing. Okay. So <laughs> I think our, t- our titillating 20 is turning into our thunderous 30 again. <laughs> oh, my mouth is still like totally black. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is today's topic? Oh, it's poltergeist. Good. I didn't know if you remembered or not. <laughs> I, I totally Today remember. we are talking about poltergeists and I want to give a shout out and a little bit of a fish shake to Stranger Michelle. You keep saying fish shake. I'm giving her like the old man angry fish shake because okay. fist. I... Fist. Fist shake. You keep saying fish shake. <laughs> or fish shake. You're going to shake a fish at her? <laughs> or make a shake out of fishes, which would just be horrible. Oh, that horrifying. <laughs> She's getting actually. a fist shake, a friendly fish shake. I do say fist, fist shake. Funny. <laughs> I like slur my words and I'm not even drunk yet. Are you drunk on fortune cookie and <laughs> might, chocolate? I'm drunk on sugar probably from all this. <laughs> but uh, I had three cases that we were going to talk about. And then she suggested, she didn't even know I think we were doing poltergeist. And then a couple days ago, she had some st- suggestions for stories in The Strangers. Oh. And one of them was a poltergeist case that mm. I liked. So I ended up booting out one of the ones that I researched and studied. Feels like a synchronicity. It does. And that one I saved, so that might be a side session at some point. So I put hers in and took one of mine out. Okay, cool. 
but poltergeists are fascinating. Well, take the fist shake back then. That's that's a good thing. It's a friendly fist shake. Oh, okay. Like, fist why shake. didn't I come up with this poltergeist yes. story? I see, I see. Like, curse you and your synchronicity. <laughs> <laughs> so the word poltergeist comes from the combining of two German words. Poltern, which means crash, clatter, or rumble, and geist, which of course means ghost. ghost. And one thing that I've always kind of struggled with is the difference between a ghost and a poltergeist. You know, Hmm. like I've always just kind of used them interchangeably and I don't think you're supposed to. No. But then I think about like when we did the investigations. Yes, your microphone is on. Like when we did the investigations at Elsing's secondhand shop that morning when I woke up and it was like 5 a.m. or whatever and I'm down on the couch in the pitch black basement and I ask, is there anybody in here right now? And clear as day, I heard the sound of somebody wrapping a finger or a knuckle on the, the table right by my head. See, I don't think that's poltergeist. But I, because ghosts technically aren't supposed to be able to. Oh, I think they can. See, I think, I, when I think of poltergeist, I think of very specific type of activity. Um, the classic thing you think of is like all the cupboards are open in your yeah or stuff is being moved and yeah or like something's sort pushing of like, you and it's sort of like a chaotic thing yeah you know what i mean it's but, a chaotic but like, energy. a lot of the definitions i looked at said that ghosts are just like hauntings that don't interact where the things that elsing secondhand shop interacted with us you know Rhonda and i both felt the fingers run along the back of our hands during that one investigation we heard stuff, uh, you know, I had the rapping on the table. We heard the voice say Krista or whatever. Remember that wasn't Vicky? Yeah, it was Vicky's, Vicky's voice, but it wasn't Vicky. Yeah. So, See, I, mean, I don't think of that as poltergeist at all, but maybe I'm misinterpreting. I, I guess I personally feel a regular spirit or a ghost can do those yeah, things. Yeah, I just always felt... I think this, a poltergeist I just feel, is rare. I feel, yeah, yes, but I feel like there's just like a weird blurry line between the mm-hmm. two of them. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah, so the word poltergeist was coined in 1838, and before that, it was considered to be just plain hauntings, witchcraft, or possession, which was a big thing back then. Yeah, Hmm. witchcraft. It is believed that there are are a few differences between the two, though. A lot of this comes from an article on the differencebetween.net website, which is actually really cool because it tells you the difference between a bunch of different things, like okay. whatever you're looking for. Yeah. The first way that they are different, and I really like the way the article stated this, is the way they manifest. Ghost-like activity is more of a, quote, haunting, while poltergeist activity is more of a, quote, disturbance. That makes sense. It does. Yep. You know, ghosts just kind of show up, whether they are an active haunting or more of a residual haunting, and they can be visually seen a lot of the times, whether it's a translucent body, a shadow, or a mist. Poltergeists are almost more of an energy than an actual visual representation, which I guess makes sense too. And being an energy, poltergeists are able to interact with objects, which results in things like cabinets opening on their own, beds (laughs) being shaken, or people being pushed or scratched. Ghosts generally aren't able to influence physical objects, but poltergeists are. Ghosts can freak you out, but they can't hurt you, while poltergeists can hurt you. So here's the thing, though, to remember. These are all just someone's theories. Oh, yeah. There's nothing yeah. to prove any that any of this is actually accurate. Yeah. Because um, when I like, think of scratching, you know how many people associate scratching with demonic activity? Well, then I think about my old apartment where I would get scratched in the shower. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is that a poltergeist? Or is that demonic? Is that just a ghost? Like the, the, the sound of the kids giggling that Natalie heard, that I heard, uh, t- 
to me, that's a haunting. But yeah. what was happening in the bathroom with the scratching and stuff, that's almost more of a poltergeist or a demonic force. Yeah, I feel like those are two different things. Yeah. Another difference is that ghosts are believed to be attached to places, while poltergeists are believed to be more attached to objects or specific people. A ghost might haunt a house where the person was murdered or where the person was happiest when they were alive, and poltergeists are somehow tied more to objects or a person, and when that person moves somewhere, when that object moves somewhere, the poltergeist moves along with it. I'm sure you're going to get to this, but there's also the idea that yes, we're gonna get adolescent... To that. Yes, okay. we are totally going to okay. get to that. And, That's what I think of. And, you know, like, I generally don't. I generally think, when I hear poltergeist, I think of a ghost. But there's a lot of yeah, there's don't. a lot of speculation that it's not a ghost that it's it's the the telekinetic stuff which I totally kind of understand and and sort of like trickster energy. Yep. And we'll get to yeah. <laughs> and, and probably the most important difference is their origin. Ghosts mm-hmm. are believed to be the souls of people who have died and who haven't moved on for some reason. Poltergeists, though, have two differing theories. The first theory is that a poltergeist is basically a type of ghost that, for whatever reason, is stronger than regular ghosts and is easily able to interact with physical objects, maybe being some form of a demonic entity, which I get. But the second theory is that poltergeists are actually energy that is being unconsciously created and controlled by a living person, very often a young teenage girl. That's what I think of as a yeah, poltergeist. Yeah, that to me, that was always like a way secondary hmm. theory for me of what a why, poltergeist though? was. The movie Poltergeist? Yeah. Yeah. Sur- was surrounding a small yeah. little girl. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people's beliefs on uh, beliefs on what poltergeists are kind of came from that movie. It might, that movie may know? have shaped my idea. Of yeah, what and a I think it shaped is. a lot of people. And you know, there, there's some people I didn't put it in here, but some people thought that so many people saw that movie that it almost created like a tulpa, tulpa? or a, a, a manifestation of mm-hmm. what people thought poltergeists were i think that it existed long before that movie came yeah. out but. yeah but so many people saw that movie that that brought poltergeists like mm-hmm. to the forefront of yeah. people's in people's minds so according to an october 27th 2015 article on vice called quote the unbelievably sad strange story of a girl and her poltergeist the article says and that um case was going to be one of my three cases but it got too long and okay. And there's a lot of, lot of. Could it be a mini mystery? Yes, it is going to be a mini mystery because there is a lot of stuff to unpack with that case. So we're I, I jettison that one too. I'm jettisoning jettisoning <laughs> these things left and right, but that one will be a mini mystery. But the article says, "quote In 1877, in the dull-colored hamlet of Derry, Gonnelly, Ireland. I love names in Ireland. Mm-hmm. I feel like nothing could possibly be dull in Ireland. No, <laughs> Derry, Gonnelly, Ireland." A 20-year-old named Maggie was the center of a disturbance centered around her home. Rappings were heard on the walls, and according to one writer, stones began to fall and candles and boots were reportedly and repeatedly thrown around the house. A year later, and thousands of miles away in Nova Scotia, 18-year-old Esther Cox terrified her family. Cox's ghost slapped her in the face and burned down their house. Dang. That's a poltergeist. Oh, that's, wow. Her poltergeist's behavior worsened when a doctor prescribed her sedatives, burning down even more houses. 
kind of an arsonist poltergeist, apparently. And there are hundreds of more reports throughout the 19th century of young women and girls tormented and tortured by these ghosts who seem to have no purpose other than irritation. Okay, I can understand where the the belief at one time that witchcraft oh, yeah. was yeah, 100%. synonymous yep. with poltergeist. Yep. Okay. Yet the poltergeist refused to be written off as a Victorian relic, refused to be reduced to the dustbin of weird history, and continued to haunt well into the 20th century. In the late 1960s, 19-year-old Anna-Marie Schaberl took a job as a secretary at a law office in Rosenheim, Germany. The unassuming young woman brought chaos to the law firm. Overhead lights swung and exploded, furniture moved, and fluid leaked from the copier. I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just blame everything on the poltergeist. Or just a crappy copier. <laughs> Could be. The lawyers might have chalked up the leaking copy fluid and exploding light bulbs to a poorly kept office, like Krista just said, but instead they were convinced that she was haunted by a poltergeist. Hmm. They called in a specialist, a parapsychologist named Hans Bender, who filmed the disturbances. After extensive investigation of the ghost, Bender determined that her poltergeist was simply the psychokinetic manifestation of her deep and mournful sadness. What a striking thought that a young woman's depression could be powerful enough to move furniture. The poltergeist, it seems, is a bit of a time traveler, and the ghost clearly has preferences, small towns and rooms where there are objects eager to be overturned and destroyed. Most importantly, poltergeists seem to prefer young women. In nearly every reported poltergeist case, the troublesome ghost seems to have cozied up to a woman, and particularly vulnerable are those on the cusp of recognizable adulthood. Indeed, if the poltergeist cases the stunned and scared communities from 19th century Ireland to 1980s Ohio revealed anything, it was that the source of the disturbances were almost all young women. Stuck in the heady years of transition, suspended between girlhood and womanhood, the teenage girl seems like the poltergeist's best friend. If childhood is a tangent to adulthood, then teenagers occupy a kind of transitional state, which I really like Mm -hmm. the way they phrase that. Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. In traditional haunting narratives, children possess strange mediumistic powers facilitated by their innocence. Yet teenage girls have little of that childhood magic left. Their childhood precociousness stripped, they are restlessly irritating and sexually tense. But perhaps that's why the irksome poltergeist prefers the company of teenage girls. They're of a kind. Unsurprisingly, once the haunted girl fully matures to adulthood, the poltergeist seems to abandon them, disappearing as quickly as they appeared, no doubt eager to find another willing body. Hmm. And that's, like I said, to me, poltergeist was always a ghost. But the more that I looked at these cases, there are so many... Yeah. So many of these seem tied in to be with a young mm-hmm. girl, mm-hmm. which is weird. And then I think that I work with so many girls that are just going into puberty and mm-hmm. are confused and conflicted. Maybe that's why that school is allegedly It, it could be. And, you know, it's like, God, I'm glad that I'm that they mostly like me. Otherwise, I'm afraid that they're going to, like, throw me up against the ceiling and whiz <laughs> me down the stairs with their, their poltergeist stuff. But it's weird because I... I've thought about that ever since I started researching this is that I do work with, with pubescent girls, mm-hmm. you know, and, and other than the haunting, maybe the haunting stuff is from that. Could be. You know, I'm going to the second half of this year at school, I'm going to do a ghost hunting club and I'm going to go with like some of the students into like the auditorium with a recorder, you know, like places that we've experienced stuff. So I'm, I'm So do you have to get parents to like sign off on that? Well, lo- the, a lot of them do stay after school for clubs. But I'm just saying something like that. Probably. Could you imagine someone's religious parents being like, you did what with my kid? Probably. (laughs) My kid's possessed now, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought of that. 
I never thought mm-hmm. it. Some of these kids, you wouldn't know the difference if they were possessed or not. <laughs> right. So from an October 31st, 2017 article on Manchester Metropolitan University website called, quote, Eight Things You Need to Know About Poltergeists to Just in Time for Halloween, the article says, number one, parapsychologists can't agree on what they are. Some parapsychologists view poltergeists as a type of ghost or supernatural entity, which is responsible for psychological and physical disturbance. Others believe, though, that such activity originates from an unknown energy associated with a living person or a location. Skeptics, on the other hand, prefer mundane explanations such as attention-seeking, pranks, and trickery. And that shows up a lot in some of the cases that we're going to talk about today. I mean, it's, it's always like a part of the cases is some kind of trickery or sleight of hand or kids trying to get attention and stuff. Like and a hoax. More. Like a hoax, okay. yeah. Number two... Poltergeists tend to prefer women to men. A person-focused poltergeist tends to, but not always, involve a female adolescent who is suffering from emotional turmoil when the activity begins. That said, however, not all so-called focal agents are teenagers. Indeed, William G. Roll, a pioneer in poltergeist research, found the age of people reporting experiences of poltergeist activity ranged from 8 years old to 78 years old. Hmm. So it Which is funny because... I think Carol Ann in the movie Poltergeist was maybe six. Yeah, she was super like young. Definitely not going through emotional turmoil. She was just a happy-go-lucky yeah. six-year-old until yeah. she disappeared into a TV. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I just never really hear from like people who are associated with poltergeists that are like older in their 60s, 70s. Right. It's usually adolescents. It's usually adolescents. Mm-hmm. Number three, some of the best poltergeist cases are thought to be fakes. In 1967, at a lawyer's office in Rosenheim, Germany, strange things started to happen in the presence of the 19-year-old secretary, we just talked about her, Anna-Marie Schaberl. Paintings and overhead light fittings started swinging while fluorescent tubes unscrewed themselves and massive spikes in electrical activity occurred. And leaky copy machines. And leaky, yeah, there's nothing worse than when your copy (laughs) machine is leaking. The speaking clock was also called multiple times per minute and furniture was moved. What? A speaking clock? I don't know what okay. that is. Uh, the <laughs> like pli- a cuckoo clock? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> the police, the utility company officials, physicists, and parapsychology. Oh, hang on. I mean, if your clock is speaking, you might have a problem. <laughs> then you definitely have a poltergeist or something. <laughs> yeah. The police, utility company officials, physicist, and parapsychologist Hans Bender investigated without explanation, but many people believe it was fake, all due to hidden threads of nylon, especially given that the incident stopped when she left the firm in early 1968. So they think she was doing all this? They think she was doing like this with nylon thread. (laughs) I don't know about that. I don't know. How do you make a copy machine leak with nylon? I don't know. I don't know. Or the speaking (laughs) clock go off. I just need to know what a speaking clock is. I don't know. The time is. Maybe maybe we'll get a voicemail from a speaking clock now. I don't know. Uh, but Did you ever have a phone number you could call to get the time and temperature when you oh, were yeah. a kid? Yeah. 6828123. Oh, I think here it was 8344414. No, or and that's like that's that. when uh I think I'm, I don't know if I talked about this on here. That year that I was into like doing all those surveys, like swag bucks. Oh like, yeah. I, I made like a thousand dollars doing all those surveys, and I got I did re- that for a little while. I got too. really good at it, knowing what which ones to do, which ones were scams. Yeah. And on all of them, they wanted my phone number, so I always typed in six eight two eight one two three. And they'd get the and time. And then one day, them. one of the women I work with that I was friends with, uh, she came up to me and she's like. 
She's like, I was trying to remember the number of our time and temperature this morning, so I did a Google search, and it came up, but it also has your name <gasps> attached to it. Oh, my gosh. So apparently my number, my name shows up when you search for the- Is that weird? Yeah. I don't know, but it might. That means that whoever you were doing those survey surveys oh, yeah. to was releasing your information. That's what they do. That's what they do. That's what Ooh. those survey things do is release your information. That's but I didn't really freaky. care back then. I'm getting ever since I started. I'm on like the third season of Person of Interest now, uh, which is all about like surveillance and stuff. Yeah. And then I, because I've been watching that and loving it, I've also been looking more into like surveillance. And I'm getting like really leery now about how much surveillance Did goes we do on an in our episode. On yes, that? but like. And I'm looking up stuff now that I didn't know doing that okay. episode. So we might do a follow-up follow episode up. because it's crazy Freak everyone freaky out. <laughs> how, how, how much everything we do is watched. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Anyway, little... We, little we, tangent. Little sorry. tangent we there, digress. Sorry. Number four, poltergeists like to mess with your stuff. Poltergeist activity typically starts with minor incidents. This could be unexplained sounds or familiar objects such as your keys or your phone disappearing, which happens to me all the time, so maybe I do have a poltergeist. (laughs) But while poltergeist activity is typically short-lived, manifestations typically last around five months, some cases have stuck around for several years. Number five, and we're going to get to this, experts are still undecided about the Enfield poltergeist. That's going to be one of the ones Mm, I talked about. mm -hmm. Number six, some people believe that emotional stress can cause activity. Some ghost hunters and paranormalists propose that poltergeists are actually the emotions of troubled individuals built up during times of stress. This theory, known as spontaneous recurring psychokinesis, or RSP, suggests that this built-up stress then unconsciously projects outwards in the form of mental energy, which affects the physical environment and produces the phenomena attributed to poltergeists, but there is little actual evidence to support this notion. One thing that I thought was interesting is that I wanted to kind of really dive into the spontaneous recurring psychokinesis theory, but like so much of it is locked behind academic paper paywalls interesting yeah like like a lot of them is a lot of the stuff is in academic journals and Mm. academic papers which is cool yeah number seven except we can't get to it except we can't get to it (laughs) other people believe that they are spirits of the dead Many people believe that spirits of the dead are responsible for poltergeist activity. This is said to be because people who experience them perceive an underlying intelligence and meaningful communication with an otherworldly being. This view proposes that a disembodied consciousness or soul survives bodily death. But again, there also isn't any really good evidence to support this view either. I don't really buy that view. I think more non-human spirit. Not demonic, just non-human, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> like, what would that be? Like, if you think of... Um, like a nature? Yeah, kind of, Like yeah. a nature yeah. force? Along that line. Like, um, what am I trying to say? Like, um, the djinn? You know oh, what I yeah, mean? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, djinn are fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Something more along that line than someone who was once walking this earth and now yeah. is opening cupboards in someone's house. That just Which doesn't would be make a, sense that to would, me. Like, that would be more of a ghost. Like, an actual ghost would be when you see somebody in your house or, yes. or hear something. But, but something that's just But something like, that's, like, there to cause mischief is, like, chaos. a djinn-type like creature. Like a trickster spirit. Like a trickster. We need to do an episode about djinn because we djinn should. are fascinating. Yeah. And lastly, number eight, skeptics put it down to a lot of misinterpretation. Misinterpretation is most likely to occur when people believe that a place is haunted and they are looking for evidence to confirm this. In this way, a lot of poltergeist activity can be actually attributed to inaccurate perception of natural phenomena. Take the case of a woman haunted by a ticking clock when it was actually discovered that the noise was created by a tiny insect that lived inside the clock. (laughs) 
Other cases, such as the Curse of the Spinning Egyptian, an Egyptian statue in a Manchester museum that appeared to turn itself around during the day, have been explained by physical factors such as minor seismic activity, underground streams, and even rainfall patterns. I mean, I think that applies to a lot of paranormal activity. Bless you. I stole your sneeze. It's stuck. <laughs> I stole it. If you tell uh, someone bless you before they sneeze, and you it steal steals it. it. Oh, damn you. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But I remember hearing about this statue that would like, they'd leave and it would be facing one way. They'd come in the next morning, it would be facing mm. the other way. And it was just that the way it was like sitting. Maybe on a s- not, not like a level. Tor- yeah. yeah. And, and like minor seismic mm-hmm. stuff would gradually turn around. I could see that. Yep. Totally. And I could see how you'd be like, whoa, this place is haunted. Yep. So that's from that article. Spontaneous recurrent psychokinesis or recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, which is RSPK, apparently they can't decide on which one they want to go with, (laughs) is an expression coined by William G. Roll. And I think he comes up quite a bit today, actually. In 1958, to refer to paranormal physical effects which occur repeatedly over a period of time, especially used as a neutral description of poltergeist disturbances. Roll says, quote, The thread running through most of the cases I have investigated and am familiar with is tension in family situations or extensions of them. In general, we find hostility in the agent which cannot be expressed in normal ways. The main target for the anger being people whom he or she is associated with on a daily basis. Parapsychologist Scott Rago says, quote, Feelings of hostility, frustration, etc. were common among the entire family. Unfortunately, there was no real method of working off these feelings normally and no one to strike out at. Unconsciously, then, a poltergeist was created to relieve the tensions and symbolically attack the house, which they wanted to leave. It's not odd, then, that after the family had fully accepted this matter and put it into words, accepting it as the cause of the phenomena, the disturbances completely ceased. So there is there is a lot of like not hard evidence, but there's a lot of evidence that that's what poltergeist activity is, is right. somebody unconsciously mm-hmm. manifesting their stress or anger or whatever. And I totally get that. Yep. Either way, whether it's like a, a demonic entity or a, a ghost or it's somebody doing this with their mind, either way, it's like really fascinating. It, totally, yeah. You know, I actually find the idea of somebody manifesting this uh, themselves way more fascinating than it being I do too. like a trickster and spirit. There's of some like kind. looking at this. I don't really go in a lot in here to to telekinesis or anything like that, but I feel like that is something that we either can do or once could do. And that we kind of can't, and it's almost like something like a muscle that you have to work on in oh, order to get it to... Like any psychic like ability. Like any psychic yeah, ability. But I, I agree. There's some really fascinating studies of people out there who claim they could do mm-hmm. telekinesis. I so. do think if something like that is real, it's rare though. Oh yeah, 100%. But I also feel like it's like a psychic thing where yes. every now and then I have like a weird psychic moment. Totally. And there's probably people that we have all weird do. telekinetic moments that they don't ever tell anybody about. You yeah. know, they're like, my keys were just here, but now they're here and they don't know that they themselves moved it. Hmm. I always, in my, in my mind, I think you, <laughs> I feel like you have to witness it happening. Like if I saw my keys move, that would be like, whoa, I just made my keys move. Yeah. But I've never thought of... I know this was just here and now it's over there yeah, as something that, that could have been that telekinetic. That could be you. Yeah, hmm, that could have done that. I've never thought of it that way. Huh. So is it possible that it's just something in the brain? On the website Encyclopedia, in the article Psychological Aspects in Poltergeist Cases, it says, quote, an aspect of this unknown factor may be neuropsychological, perhaps related in some way 
Oh boy. To psychophysiological abnormalities in the agent's brain and central nervous system. Nice job. Thank you. Examining the medical and neurological history of 92 agents identified in poltergeist cases, Roll found that 53% exhibited severe body or mental health issues, including seizures, muscular contractions, comas, convulsions, fainting spells, and disassociative episodes such as trance. Hmm. So they're wondering if it's like not tied into something in your brain, Mm -hmm. you know? But... Like saying you're just hallucinating it or whatever. Yeah. Because what about, I, I guess what I well, would... Well, not hallucinating it, but it might be, you know, maybe if you have epilepsy, epilepsy that could ha- have some something to do or something's wired a little differently that can cause you to... Move things? Yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah, because like epilepsy, I mean, I guess I'm not a neuroscientist, but that's like electrical disturbances in your brain. So yeah. I could see yep. how that, that's energy. Yep. I was going to say, I don't, like, other people witness the activity, then you can't chalk it up to somebody, like, having some kind of a hallucination. Yeah. And then, why do you think it involves young teen girls? And this is on Reddit, and this is obviously a professional in a field named Dorkenheimer. <laughs> he goes, I guess it's not really an idea, maybe, just more of an observation along the lines of, okay, what are some things that these cases have in common? It just so happens that pubescent girls happen to be a common factor in a lot of the cases studied. Also this, if there is anything at all typical about the poltergeist case, here it is. Actually, there are many common denominators in the 50 cases I reviewed in writing this book. Although each case has its, and this comes from a book, a direct book, and I'm not sure what book it is. Although each case has its own characteristics and idiosyncrasies, here are the trends. The cases generally have these things. Number one, a poltergeist agent, usually an adolescent entering puberty and quite intelligent around whom the strange activities occur. Number two, some sort of repression or frustration of the poltergeist agent by other people. Number three, a high level of stress in the household prior to the start of the poltergeist activity that continues throughout the case. Number four, poltergeist activity lasting one week to several months. Number five, dramatic events such as unexplained knocking, electrical malfunctions, and movement of objects and furniture. Occasionally reported are levitation of objects, electrical, this one comes up a lot surprisingly, electrical appliances working without power, and stones falling apparently from nowhere. Rarely reported are strange voices coming from the agent, apparitions, strange orders, orders, strange odors, cold <laughs> spots, and puddles. And lastly, a mischievous or destructive intent on the part of the agent rather than a downright malevolent intent. You know, like saying it just wants to scare you and mess with you, not necessarily hurt you. So many of these things are associated with a demonic possession. Yes. Yep. Although some people have been injured, but no one injured, no one killed as far as I know, they say. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Why females, though? I mean, males go through puberty. Part of me thinks it has to do with menstruation somehow, and I don't really know how. I don't know. But, you know, like women are, are... I don't know how to put this. Like... We go I, I, from I, I being did, children to being able to give birth to children. I this, mean, that's this sounds, kind of like a sounds really crazy stupid, thing. but I think women are technologically superior to men. Technologically, biologically, biologically, technologically. <laughs> like, I don't feel, I feel like, like I have any technology I, in here. <laughs> I feel, I feel like like males are like an iPhone eight, and women are like an iPhone eleven. Oh, if that hilarious. makes sense. Yeah, I get it. We mature earlier. Yeah, and I'm finding that out with my sixth graders. Like, yeah. I love the girls because they're all like responsible, more mature, and more mature. Intel- where the boys are like <laughs> boobs, <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah. 
So I don't know. I just feel like women are wired differently, and I feel like it's something to do with that advancement that females have over males. And I'm probably going to get a ton of flack for uh, suggesting that women are better than guys, but hey. No, but I, I, something that was going through my head is that when you're a female and you're at that age, there is a lot of pressure on you. You're starting to... And I'm... Uh, I'm seeing that in my, my kids at school. Yeah, you, know? you, you need to, even back when I was a kid, you need to look a certain way, you need to act a certain way, and nobody cares what boys are doing. You can just be a boy. Boys yeah. can just be boys. Yeah. Yep. Girls have to act a certain way, and they have to look a certain way, and it's a lot of pressure, and now your body's changing, and you're self-conscious, and everybody's looking at you, and... So I can see how that would create. It's, it's just it, it's conflict. weird. It freaks me out a little bit because like I'm I've been with like 11, 12 year old girls that are having like meltdowns, and it's weird to think that if I something moves in your like classroom. if I did something <laughs> like if I was was a jerk to them that they could potentially do something or lash out. I don't think that I don't, I don't think, think of that, it that way though. I don't think that everybody can do it, and I think it's in rare cases. Yeah. But going into this topic, I thought it was more ghosts, and I'm mm. leaving this topic thinking it's more telekinetic powers. Yeah. I really am. Yep. I would agree with that. So now I'm going to jump into three different poltergeist cases. Okay. The first one is the one that Michelle suggested, which I had never heard of, but I feel like the other ones I have are kind of your run of the mill. Everybody's heard of them. Not super exciting. Not super exciting, but your run of the mill poltergeist cases. But this first one is what I think of when I think of a cool poltergeist case. And this is the Humpty Doo poltergeist. Humpty Doo. Humpty Doo. I already love it. <laughs> Humpty do. Humpty don't. <laughs> Humpty dance. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> I almost got busy in a Burger King bathroom. Yep. So this comes from basically two different articles. A July 23rd, 2020 article on astonishing legends called the Humpty Doo Poltergeist and a March 1st, 2015 ntnews.com article called, quote, Humpty Doo Poltergeist, a malicious and mischievous spirit that could not be exercised. Hmm. This particular story takes place in Australia in August of 1997 when Jill Somerville and her partner Dave Clark moved to a new rental property at 90 McMinns Drive in Humpty Doo, a town located near Darwin, Australia. It just sounds delightful. I would love to live in Humpty Doo. Yeah, that sounds great. For months, the couple enjoyed their new home in relative peace and normalcy. However, this changed when in January 1998, a new family moved in with them. Andrew and Christy Agius, along with their nearly one-year-old daughter Jasmine, moved into the home on McKinnis Drive in January 1998. Taken from the book Australian Poltergeist, written by Tony Healy and Paul Cropper, and I actually want to read this book because it sounds like a really, really good book. So the book Australian Poltergeist, written by Tony Healy and Paul Cropper. A lot of this comes directly from the book, so it's written kind of like, like fiction, like realistic fiction. Okay. It was a dark and stormy night, which is how all the best stories start, Absolutely. Actually. It was a dark and stormy night. Rain was holding off for the moment, but huge black clouds were rolling, and a dramatic lightning display was filling the steamy tropical sky with sound and fury. The residents of 90 McMinn's Drive, Humpty Doo, sat on their patio, chilled beers in hand, enjoying the show. There were two young couples, Andrew and Christy Agius, Dave Clark and his partner Jill Somerville, plus their mate, Doug Murphy. I love mate. Mate. Hang out with my mates. Mate. All five were in their late 20s to early 30s. Inside the house, fast asleep, was Christy and Andrew's 10-month-old daughter, Jasmine. As nature's light show crashed and flashed in the sky above, strange, decidedly unnatural things started to happen. When small pebbles began flicking out of the shadows and landing in their mist, the group assumed that someone had sneaked onto their rented five-acre property to play a silly joke. 
But when the prankster failed to respond to their shouts and was not discovered in repeated searches of the grounds, they got tired of the situation and moved inside, only to have the pebbles follow them. In the classic poltergeist style, showers of the inch-wide stones, all apparently lifted from their 70-meter-long gravel driveway, landed on floors, tables, beds, and heads after apparently materializing just under the ceiling. Wowza. That's weird. And scary. (laughs) Yeah. Though the ground outside was saturated with rain, all the pebbles that fell indoors were bone dry and distinctly warm to the touch. Hardly believing their senses and being practical people, one of the first things the housemates did was to fetch a ladder to check if there was something amiss in the attic. As soon as they opened the ceiling door, however, a brisk shower of stones fell upon their upturned faces. Later that night, to their increasing dismay, knives, small batteries, wrenches, shards of broken glass, and other objects began to drop or to hurtle across rooms. Good lord. Over the next couple of days, the ghost, they always call it a polt, P-O-L-T. A polt? The polt. I don't know if I like that or don't like that. They soon realized that's what it's it like had to be. like slang for poltergeist? Yeah. Over the next couple of days, the polt, they soon realized that's what it had to be, cranked up the level of its vandalism, causing serious damage. A CD player was thrown to the floor and destroyed. Windows and glass cabinet doors were smashed by ashtrays and other flying objects. I'm surprised nobody was injured. Yeah. What, what's weird? Thrown? What's weird is that I don't remember if it was this case. I think it was this case. Because like a bunch of priests came in to try to get rid of this thing. And some people that came there were hit with objects, mm. like hard objects. Mm-hmm. But they all said it felt like a marshmallow hit them. It was like soft. That's Like weird. it didn't hurt them. But it felt, if they said it felt like if someone went like that and just chucked a marshmallow at you. Almost and like these were, were like hard like wrenches and stuff. And these were hard objects. And they all said it felt like a marshmallow hit you. It's almost like it's not wanting to really hurt you. Or like it's not... What is what am I trying to say? Not an illusion, but it's making you think that it's there. That something like solid, like is a there. knife, is there. But actually, no, because it, it is there. Because they've picked up. There was a picture of the drawer full of the knives and the stuff wow. that they picked up that had been thrown. So these are like legitimate objects. That's weird. It is. So things came to a head one Saturday night when it seemed their persecutor meant to actually drive them from the house. Littering the floor with a blizzard of stones, wrenching appliances from the shelves, upturning mattresses, and creepiest of all, making sinister scraping noises inside the internal walls. Yeah, that's I could do without that. I could do without that. that I can do without. The events of that long night were almost too much for Jill and Christy. Quote, it completely freaked us out. It was like something was actually inside the walls right next to us. We (sighs) couldn't sleep. We were crying. We would have left the house, but we didn't have anywhere else to go. Although the residents weren't particularly religious, they were now willing to try anything to get rid of the pest. So, when you've got a pulp problem, who are you going to call? Pulp busters. Pulp busters. <laughs> the first thing that Father Stephen D'Souza of Darwin's St. Mary's Cathedral did when he arrived was to look through the entire house. In the kitchen, he says he, quote, noticed a microwave with a steak knife on top. As I walked away, one of the residents called Father turning he saw the knife flying straight at him there was nobody in a position anywhere near it to have thrown it there was no time for him to jump out of the way but when it was about half a foot away from his chest it just stopped as though it had hit something and it fell at his feet hmm. so these people they're like witnesses that are seeing this stuff yes. and he said there was nobody even near where the knife had been sitting hmm. and you're not going to throw a knife at a priest to try, you know <laughs> to try to get him to think that your place it's is haunted very disrespectful His take on the situation was that a restless spirit may have been drawn to the house, possibly because one of the occupants was, without being aware of it, a natural medium. Mm. Using age-old Catholic rituals, he attempted to bind the spirit and reassured its tenants that it was very unlikely to physically hurt anyone. 
He admitted, however, that in his experience, prayer rarely caused a poltergeist to cease its activities. It would go away when it was good and ready, or if its nasty tricks were indeed linked to someone in the house who has an unconscious, who was an unconscious medium, it might follow that person when they left and went to a new residence. So I totally agree with that. A priest is not going to get rid of a poltergeist no. because it's not demonic. Yeah. You need a parapsychologist. Yeah. Someone even who like, can what are, actually... What are they going to do? But I think they understand what's happening and why it's happening, and they can help maybe uncover what yeah. the person in the house is going through. Yeah, but then how are you going to feel if you're that person? And he's like, you know, this is attached you. to you. Yeah, basically, I would be like, okay, let's let's figure out a solution then. At least like, you, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> at least at least it's a narrowing down, and how can we yeah solve the problem? Yep. A Father priest is just going to shake things up, probably. Yeah, probably annoy it. <laughs> yeah. Father Stephen's prayers gave the household a brief respite. The pole kept its nasty little head down for three days, but then just as the residents were hoping it was all over, the craziness started up again. Next to try popping the pole was Humpty Doo's parish priest, Father Tom English. Every time Dur you say Humpty Doo, I giggle a little <laughs> bit on the inside. During the first of four visits, he saw several objects flying in ways that seemed to defy explanation. The poltergeist, he said, quote, doesn't follow the law of physics. A pistol cartridge fell from nowhere to land at his feet, and other things crashed against walls. They just fly out of a room that nobody was in, for instance. Outside, things came crashing down near us. Hmm. Although inexperienced in such matters, he blessed the place and doused it with holy water. Well, sure. Again. As you do. <laughs> This time, the pole, far from being quiet or skulking off into its twilight zone, went ape. Quote, everything went berserk. Things were flying around. When I was leaving, a medicine bottle came flying out of the bathroom. Having done what he could, the priest left, leaving a crucifix and Bible with the anxious residents. Like, thanks. <laughs> Good luck. As night, as night fell, the poltergeist continued its mayhem, smashing another couple of windows, hurling Father Tom's crucifix and Bible around the room, well, smashing a container of holy water against a wall, banging and scraping and keeping the occupants awake for hours. I can see why people would... I'm, I keep going back to demonic well, activity. Yeah. I, why it this seems is, like a demonic, like a, de yeah. like a demon is doing this. Mm -hmm. You know? Next up was a Greek Orthodox priest who went the full Monty, setting up an altar on the kitchen table, blessing each room separately, and reading arcane passages from a large black book. As the shell-shocked residents looked on, he was assaulted by an invisible force that tried repeatedly to wrench the book from his grasp and to twist his right arm behind his back. Ashen-faced, he finally sat down, bathed in sweat, declaring his adversary tougher than anything he'd encountered before. Hmm. I'm hoping I don't get in like, copyright trouble for reading from this book. Don't you read from articles all the time? Though? Yeah. But it's a good book. It I think as long as you call out the name yeah. of the book or article you're reading from and the It's author. like a really well-written like book. Like, I really want to read this book. The pest continued its mind-boggling antics for the next couple of months. Sometimes pole peltings occurred every minute or so for about 20 minutes, followed by an hour or two of peace. Sometimes objects flew only once or twice a day. Occasionally, a couple of days would pass without incident. The phenomenon was spooky to say the least, but the housemates, very tough, hardworking young men and women, soon noticed that although potentially lethal objects such as sharp knives and broken glass often pass uncomfortably close, no one was ever hurt. What they also noticed was that young Jasmine's room was always left undisturbed, and they decided that it was bearable because nobody was hurting them, nobody was hurting the baby. Like, nothing would happen in the room the baby was in. So they resolved just to stay on the property. As Dave put it, quote, we don't want to move out. It's a nice place. We like it, and we were here first. I don't know if that's true or not, but mm -hmm. once they got used to it, in fact, they found the weirdness quite interesting and even amusing for a while. 
But when sinister words and symbols began to appear on the walls and floor, they became nervous again, as I would. <laughs> yeah, that's a different level of The activity. words were scrawled with marker pens, spelt out in Scrabble tiles. That creeps me out for some reason, like something spelling words in Scrabble yeah. tiles. And strangest of all, and this is in the teaser picture for this episode, strangest of all, words were found formed extremely neatly on the floor using scores of pebbles, each of which had been carefully placed so that only the flat surface faced outwards. The most unsettling aspect of the first series of words, which were fire, skin, car, help, and Troy, oh my God. was that they clearly referred to their good friend Troy Radatz, who had been incinerated in a terrible road accident on the Stewart Highway just a couple of kilometers from their property in January, shortly before the first stone fell. It's almost like a weird um, Ouija board. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's, that's, I don't know if their friend dying in the car accident burning to death like is he responsible for this or is this thing picking up on the fact that they're so can we is there an ad, a young adolescent girl in the house there's a one-year-old girl but that's oh, it and that's she's not what no I would know. but hmm. it's just weird that the first series of words were fire skin car help and troy referring to their friend that burned to death in a car accident mm-hmm. like right near the property hmm. also on march 20th it's strange that it's so far into the activity that they're getting this information yeah, too yep. Unless their friend, you know, maybe this activity attracted his spirit. Like, oh, they can see stuff from the other side. Maybe I can communicate with them. Yeah, that's possible. On March 20th, a large cross and a trident, both constructed of hundreds of pebbles, also appeared on the floor. A local school teacher, Annette Taylor, and her partner, Lloyd Green, happened to be visiting when the cross appeared. Lloyd testified later that the formation, which was so neat and perfect it would have taken me hours to make with a straight edge, a square, and a ruler, had been constructed impossibly quickly on a section of the hallway floor that people were repeatedly walking across that evening. So did they see it actually form? No. Okay. They didn't see it form, but he said people were walking back and forth all evening across that section of floor. And he said it was so perfectly done Hmm. that you couldn't just sit down and put, like the pebbles were all turned a certain way. Yeah. He said it was just weird. Hmm. More weirdness then followed. He says, quote, As soon as Dave touched the gravel, it just flew everywhere. It pelted down the hallway. It was so loud hitting the walls, the baby woke up and started crying, and then the tools started flying around. Remember, this was a rental house, and as the media began to cover the story, especially after the visit from the clergy, their landlord reached out. He was shocked by the amount of damage and decided to take the couples to court to have them evicted. Oh, dang. Oddly enough, the judge deemed that they could not be evicted as the damage to the property was called a poltergeist, which seemingly the judge believed in. While that held up in court? (laughs) I guess. Despite the stay of eviction, the couples decided to move away from the home. Paul Cropper... And he's one of the people that wrote the book, I believe. The man behind the 14 blog Strange Nation got the chance to attend the home and experience the madness for himself. Cropper writes, quote, A few of my experiences at the house still puzzle me 20 years later. The first occurred as I was sitting at a table facing two of the female residents as they washed up at the kitchen sink only a few feet away. They were still talking when I heard two sounds. The first, a handful of gravel stones from the driveway hitting the corrugated tin roof of the house, and then the kitchen floor where they scattered. What is it with the stones? I don't know. But I remember reading like stories when I was a kid in books about hauntings, about people that... There was this one house where it was constantly the sounds of rocks or pebbles hitting their 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 roof, and they would go outside, and there was nobody there, and they would go back in, and they would start again. That's freaky. That's like a Bigfoot thing, too. It totally is. You know? Not, not like that. But. Yeah. 
Two loud, distinct, and separate sounds. Neither of the women had thrown anything, and the stones had fallen between me and where the girls were standing. It appeared that the stones had come through both the roof and the plaster ceiling. He also mentions his favorite story, saying, quote, One small segment I did record in the house as a personal favorite. Christy, Andrew, Tony Healy, and I are in the main room talking, and you can hear Christy in the background saying, quote, You don't know what, is, what it's going to do. It just does whatever it wants to do. And then there's a bang as a knife ricochets off a wall, and everyone talks excitedly. Nobody in that room threw anything. So going back to his blog, which is Strange Nation, strangenationaustralia.blogspot.com, in his article, A Week with the Humpty Doo Poltergeist, it says, The local Litchfield... Litchfield Times was soon tipped off. Its editor, Jack Ellis, and two reporters visited the house, observed a pole pelting, and in no time the story went ballistic. The sleep-deprived hauntees were soon fielding phone calls day and night from radio stations and newspapers as far away as Scandinavia. They soon signed a contract granting exclusive rights to the story for a week to Sydney's Channel 7 News. Although the promised $5,000 would be most welcome, they signed mainly in the expectation of being protected from other media harassment, which I get. Like, if you sign with just them, nobody else is going to bug you for a story. Yeah. Although... But then there's people that say they did it for the, the money. The second you get money yeah. for your experience... Yeah, yep, that casts all sorts of doubts on what's yep. going on. And in the hope that video evidence from the news crew would validate their story. Although the entire TV crew quickly became fervent believers after dodging flying objects, they also became frustrated as the poltergeist took to playing hide-and-seek with their cameras. Operators with handheld cameras were invariably facing the wrong way when objects landed right next to them. With the house empty and locked, five constantly running fixed cameras recorded a whole lot of nothing until the battery dead signals went off. Then, as the on-duty cameraman walked to the house with new batteries, his exasperated but amused mates that were drinking on the patio would hear a tattoo of wax as objects careened about the inside of the house. The, mess- the written messages, quote, no cameras, no TV, and pig camera appeared on walls and floors to taunt them, which is weird. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. That's like, weird because it does speak to an intelligence. Yeah, but to me, that sounds like something... A trickster. Fake. Like that they would have done in the house. But then why would they have asked for... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) Basically, we don't know. After 24-hour workdays and great inconvenience to the residents, the crew managed to record only three objects in motion. A baby's bottle inexplicably falling from the top of a microwave, a pistol bullet in the last foot or so of its fall, and a plastic lid flying out from behind a cupboard. At that auspicious moment, Healy and Cropper arrived. We were received by two very tough-looking, unsmiling hombres. Shaven-headed Andrew, guarded but polite, glowering. Heavily tattooed biker Murph didn't bother to hide his disdain for, quote, use media bastards. <laughs> so not taking... <laughs> use. Yep. Fortunately, we had with us our material on er- earlier Australian poltergeist cases. As they eagerly scanned it, finding many similarities to their own experiences, and as they realized that we were genuinely interested, they began to lower their barriers. After Dave and Jill, both quiet and easygoing, and the more intense but friendly Christy arrived, things became even more relaxed and we were invited to stay the night. Far from being a bunch of drunken layabouts, as some of the media tried to portray them, the residents struck us as being strong-minded, competent people. It was clear that above all else, they just wanted to be believed. Well, it didn't take long to convince us. Nothing happened as we slept on the lounge room floor that night except for a sudden blast cry from a gecko, 
which resulted in Paul having to carefully peel Tony off the ceiling. (laughs) But during the next five days, often with only Christy in the house, about 30 or so objects fell on or near us. Usually we heard a sharp whack as something hit and then caught sight of it as it ricocheted off a wall or settled onto the floor. Most of the objects were familiar household items, but some, like a yellow light bulb which fell beside us on the concrete patio without breaking, had not been seen before. We gathered the material and stashed it in a drawer on the patio, and that's where you could they have a picture of what they all caught moving in that drawer. So these were physical objects. Mm-hmm. Only to have these items appear one by one back inside the house. After some of the episodes, we found Dave and Jill's bedroom trashed, the mattress thrown about, and sometimes gravel strewn around the room. The gravel stuff is weird. On one occasion, Paul heard a rattling sound on the tin roof an instant before 13 pebbles landed on the kitchen floor beside him, having apparently teleported through both roof and ceiling. Stones that later happens f- repeatedly. Yeah, stones later fell on his head, and a skinning knife narrowly missed Tony's ear. It's, it's just weird that nothing Nobody's hurts them. Hurt. Nobody's been hurt. But Especially it's doing this, considering like, that knives are flying around. Yeah, exactly. The more we saw, the more we understood the residents' fury at the smug, ill-informed skeptics who offered patently unfeasible explanations to the press from their homes in Darwin or Sydney. One such idiot seriously suggested that the group, with an 11-month-old toddler in the house, place gravel, sharp knives, and broken glass on top of the ceiling fan so the material would fly out in all directions at the flick of a switch. Oh, come on. Many of the incidents could, if one or more of the residents had been skilled conjurers, have been faked, but several, such as when a pistol cartridge dropped vertically onto Paul's leg as we sat facing the only other people in the room, seemed almost unfakeable. Two incidents in particular were very convincing. A small crucifix left at the house after Father Tom became a frequent flyer. Several times a day it would disappear from the mantelpiece and later crash into a wall somewhere. When it landed on the rear patio beside Paul, with the only other people 30 meters away and plainly in sight, he became a near-total believer. When Tony saw a little brass plug fall vertically onto a table between he and Christy, who was holding a newspaper with both hands while reading a poltergeist story aloud, he too had to admit that a hoax was almost out of the question. It would be natural for skeptics to question the judgment of people like us. People who chase Yahweh's and Bigfoot and who, like X-Files agent Fox Mulder, obviously wanted to believe. So I hasten to mention that all six journalists we met who visited the house also came away firm poltergeist believers. Northern Territory news reporter Nikki Voss and her cameraman had their extreme skepticism jolted when they were greeted by a beer mug which shot with great force and uncanny accuracy through a very small hole in a window pane. Hmm. Shortly afterwards, as they stood with their backs to a solid wall, they were hit on the nape of the neck with a shower of gravel. Tracy Farrar of ABC Radio, Darwin, who had collected small brown shells at the beach only the day before, watched an identical shell land on the table in front of her as she interviewed Christy. That's weird. Mm -hmm. She received an inexplicable shock from her microphone and most tellingly saw a remote control unit lift off a table next to her and fly into the air. Though thrilled, she was, like Nikki Voss, plagued by bad dreams for several nights afterwards. I'm Googling poltergeist and gravel. (laughs) Because I have to see if there's some kind of... Um, I've just heard a lot of stuff about gravel, like hitting people's roofs. Hmm. Stones and spirits. Nothing about poltergeists. Ghosts and gravel roads. No, no. Oh, the Humpty Doo poltergeist comes up. That's funny. <laughs> That's... Interesting. Hmm. It's just such a common thing that keeps... It's a theme that keeps happening. Yeah. Or maybe but here, it's we just get where some, they We lived. get to something here. Okay. 
Like us, the journalists could not see how all the phenomena could have been faked or why the group would even do it. The money from Channel 7 was really not significant. The group clearly did not relish the public attention, and the flying objects were potentially dangerous, particularly to the toddler. A hoaxing individual or a clique within the group would have risked murder by the others if discovered. We don't believe hoaxers were at work, but if they were, they were not only first-rate magicians, but first-rate actors as well. But two things observed at Humpty Doo have, we believe, not been recorded elsewhere. After a wild night in February, which left a thick covering of pebbles on their car roofs and outdoor bar, the residents of the town noticed long, shallow grooves in their gravel driveway, as though the pebbles had been vacuumed up in their thousands. Which is weird. It's Mm -hmm. like something went through and left this row that you can see it looked like something came through and just scooped up all the gravel. Shortly afterwards, Brett Stiles, a friend of Murph's, may have caught a unique glimpse of a poltergeist reloading. One evening, he observed a strange object flying from the driveway under the patio roof and away at tremendous speed. It appeared to be spherical, jet black, and smaller than fist size and had a two-foot-long stream of gravel behind it. That's weird. Yeah. That's weird. I mean, if he really saw that... It's almost like, he said it was like, it had a two foot long stream of gravel behind it. Freaky. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that, it, like whatever that was, what was, what's what's up transporting the gravel. The transporting the gravel. the gravel. Yep. Despite the stay of eviction, the couples decided to move away from the home. Once cleared, the landlord had the home repaired and renovated. And according to local inquiry, no activity has occurred in the home since. Did it follow them? I guess not. There was Mm. nothing else. One thing I think I find particularly interesting about this tale is the lack of an adolescent. Mm -hmm. In many cases, for example, the black monk of Pontrefact, there are adolescent or teenage children in the home. It is believed that sometimes the energy created by these changing children can cause and or attract poltergeist activity. Additionally, these children are usually the focus of the attacks and are largely the focus of the poltergeist attention. However, in this case, there were four mid-twenties adults and a baby. It seems that the baby, Jasmine, was never an actual target. So is this activity an exception to the rule, or is this a kind of non-adolescence poltergeist activity, something that deserves its own investigation? Yeah, it seems centered on the house itself, because it it didn't, well, we don't know that it didn't follow them, but there's no reports that it followed them. So it doesn't seem to have been attached to a person. No, but then it's weird. It's like, why did nothing happen in that house after? Yeah. You know? So Yeah, that is weird. That's the Humpty Doo case. <laughs> that's the one that I jettisoned another yeah. case for because this had all the stuff that I love, like the yeah. gravel flying around, the knives flying around, uh, the, the words. And there's the, that's my teaser picture is one of the guys, I don't remember which one, standing in his bathroom looking at the floor. And you can see the word car written in stones mm. on the floor, like super written perfectly. You know, again, kind of relates to their friend who was killed. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So there you go. Number two, and this is one of the more famous poltergeist hauntings, the Thornton Heath poltergeist. This is one that a lot of people have heard of. Krista's is looking at me blankly, so I don't think she knows this one. Most of this comes from a January 1st, 2019 liveabout.com article called, 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 quote, three famous poltergeist cases that will creep you out. And the November 29th, 2017 article on Spooky Isles called, quote, Thornton Heath, London's 1970s haunting terror, still puzzling to this day. Does it feel like so many of these cases are from that era? This one is weird. This one has actually has two in the same town. Okay. And they seem to be the two different examples of what a poltergeist could be. Okay. So this one is interesting. So there's actually two different ones here. 
In the 1970s, in Thornton Heath, England, a family was tormented by poltergeist phenomena that started one August night when they were woken up in the middle of the night by a blaring bedside radio that had somehow turned itself on, tuned to a foreign language station. They unplugged the radio, but this was the beginning of a string of events that lasted nearly four years. Ooh. I know, right? Dang. I'm pretty sure I'd be out after like six months. Yeah. <laughs> a lampshade repeatedly was knocked to the floor by unseen hands. Pictures fell from walls, glasses, and plates flew out of the cupboards, and a lamp leapt from a table and shattered over the head of the man of the house. Oh, dang. During the Christmas season of 1972, an ornament was hurled across the room, smashing into the husband's forehead. Wow. <laughs> Poor guy. Really? Uh... Whatever this is does not... This isn't like the Humpty Doo one. This one's no. actually connecting with the stuff it's throwing at you. And centered on one person. Yeah. So but, far. But again, this could be maybe his wife resents him and unconsciously... Other kids? I... We'll get to that because I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, not curting you. That's me not no. remembering. <laughs> so yeah, in, 19, in the Christmas season of 1972, an ornament was hurled across the room, smashing into the husband's forehead. Haunted Croydon, which I think is a blog, says, quote, As he flopped into the armchair, the Christmas tree began to shake violently, sending ornaments smashing into the walls near the tree. Hmm. That would freak me out. Yeah. Come the new year, there were footsteps in the bedroom when no one was there, and one night the couple's son awoke to find a man in old-fashioned dress stare threateningly at him. That doesn't feel like a poltergeist. No. The family's fear grew when, as they entertained friends one night, there was a loud knocking at the front door, followed seconds after by the living room door being flung open and all the house's lights immediately turning on. That sounds like a poltergeist. That sounds creepy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Having the house blessed failed to rid the house of the phenomena. Objects flew through the air, loud noises were heard, and the family would sometimes hear a noise which suggested that some large piece of furniture had crashed to the floor. When they went to investigate, nothing would be disturbed. A medium who was consulted told the family that the house was haunted by a farmer by the name of Chatterton, who considered the family trespassers on his property. An investigation bore out the fact that Chatterton had indeed lived in the house in the mid-18th century. Chatterton's wife now joined in causing mayhem, and often the tenant's wife would be followed up the stairs at night by an elderly gray-haired woman wearing a dress with her hair tied back in a bun. See, this feels just like a haunting yep. to me. It looked at, If looked at, she would disappear back into the shadows. That's creepy. The family even reported seeing the farmer appear on their television screens wearing a black jacket with wide-pointed lapels, high-neck shirt, and black cravat. That's super creepy, but that almost sounds... We've done an episode on that. Somebody being on the TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that almost sounds like a horror... That almost sounds like a fake horror movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like almost like a poltergeist movie kind of thing. It doesn't where, feel like poltergeist activity to me. I mean, some of it does, but... After the family moved out of the house, the poltergeist activity ceased and none have been reported by subsequent residents. So after they moved out, there was nothing. Hmm. And you think that's more of a haunting... Yeah, usually you don't have apparitions. But this also had stuff. people who this lived had there. The ornament think, flying into the husband's head. But I think head. ghosts can do that stuff. I really do. Okay. I was trying to refute that, but I really can't. I mean, of course, again, these are all just our theories. Nobody has any yeah. definitive proof of any of this. But but that does sound like... But then you never know with a medium if they just went looked at the records and say, oh, some guy named Chatterton used to live here. I'll just say it's him. Mm-hmm. You know? Don't show up on my TV, Mr. Chatterton, if I'm talking about <laughs> you, please. But what's interesting is that this wasn't the only well-known poltergeist case from Thornton Heath. There was another one there in the 1930s. According to an April 30th, 2021 article on the Literary Hub website called, quote, The Violent Haunting That Rattled an English Suburb, the article says, quote, 
1938, journalist and chief ghost hunter at the International Institute for Psychical Research, Nandor Fodor. Sure. Yeah, International. Sounds like a character on Lord of the Rings. It does. (laughs) International Institute for Psychical Research, Nandor Fodor, obtained a copy of the latest pictorial, the newspaper. The paper had run the poltergeist story next to a giant cutout photograph of Adolf Hitler, who was poised to invade Austria, so that the news of the haunting seemed to issue from the Fuhrer's shouting mouth. (laughs) Ghost Rex Home ran the headline, Family Terrorized. According to the news article, the disturbance emanated from Alma Fielding, a 34-year-old housewife who lived in Thornton Heath in the borough of Croydon with their husband, their son, and a lodger. A week earlier on Sunday, February 13th, Alma had been seized by a pain in her pelvis while she was visiting friends in the neighborhood. She hurried home, trembling and burning, and took herself to bed. Having suffered from kidney complaints since she was a girl, she had a stock of antibacterial medicine to fight off an infection and sedatives to help her sleep. She dosed herself with both. As she shivered and sweated in her bedroom, a strong wind swept across southeastern England, driving sheets of rain, sleet, and snow through the streets of Croydon at 80 miles an hour. Dang. Wow. That's a blizzard. Alma was laid up for days. In the middle of the week, she was joined in bed by her husband, Leslie, who usually worked as a builder and decorator. His gums were bleeding heavily, as all his teeth had been pulled so he could be fitted with dentures. (laughs) That's quite the couple laying in bed. That Yikes. (laughs) Really going through a time. I would say. Through Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, reported the Sunday pictorial, Les and Alma lay together, his mouth leaking blood, her abdomen pulsing with pain, a bright frost lining the trees and walls outside their twin windows. Not a party at that house, that's for sure. The storms died down, but the air remained wintry and sharp. Alma noticed a peculiar six-digit handprint on the mirror above the bedroom fireplace. Six digits? Perhaps her fever or the drugs were inducing hallucinations. Towards midnight on Friday, Alma and Les were trying to sleep when they heard something shatter nearby. Alma turned on her bedside lamp. She and Les saw the shards of a broken tumbler on the floor, and then suddenly another glass flew past them and splintered against the wall. They waited, terrified. The room fell quiet. Les said, put the lights out. Let's see what happens. When Alma turned off her lamp, a dank wind moved through the room, lifting the eider down. <laughs> What's an sure. eider down? Eider down, know. I'm guessing it's like the, the comforter? Maybe. I like a down up. comforter? Eider down. Eider down. <laughs> <laughs> lifting the eider down. It's bedding. It's, it's bedding. like a comforter. Okay. Yep. A dank wind moved through the room, lifting the eider down so that it swam up at them and fell over their faces. Switch on the light, said Les. Quickly. Alma tried to turn on the lamp, but nothing happened, nor did the light come on when Les reached over and pressed the switch himself. Alma shouted for help. Their 16-year-old son, Donald, crossed the landing from his bedroom, but as he opened the door, he had a duck, a flying pot of face cream. George, the lodger, came in after him, and he was hit by two coins, a shilling and a penny. The pair of them drew back, and Don hurried downstairs to fetch matches. When he returned, he struck a match and made his way by its flame to the lamp at his mother's bedside. The bulb had vanished from the socket. It was found unbroken and still hot to the touch on a chair on the opposite side of the room. Weird. (laughs) That's creepy. Yeah. That's weird. Everyone was shaken, but after half an hour, things seemed to have calmed down. At about 20 to 1, Don and George went to their beds. They all eventually fell asleep. 
The next morning, Alma was feeling well enough to go downstairs, but an egg smashed when she was in the kitchen and a saucer broke. She didn't know what to do. A ghost hardly seemed to matter for the police, so she placed a call to the officers of the Sunday Pictorial, the newspaper. The paper was running a series on the supernatural and had invited readers to write in with their experiences. So is this the era of, um, what was it called? Spiritualism? Probably. Yeah, where Probably. people, where people were, were really into seances. And having ectoplasm and, come yeah. through their nose and whatnot. Yep. That was like the 20s and yeah. 30s, This was right? in the 30s, yeah. Okay. Come to my house, Alma implored the pictorial's news desk. There are things going on here that I can't explain. The Sunday Pick, as it was known to readers, dispatched two reporters to Thornton Heath. As Alma opened the front door to the pictorial men that afternoon, they both saw an egg fly down the corridor to land a yard at, from their feet. As she led them to the kitchen, a pink china dog rattled to the floor and a sharp-bladed can opener cut through the air at head height. I don't ever want to run into a poltergeist. No. Especially around, like, knives and kitchen utensils. <laughs> kitchen utensils. In the front parlor, a teacup and saucer lifted out of Elma's hands as she sat with her guests, the saucer spinning midair and splintering as if shot. She screamed as a second saucer exploded in her fingers and sliced into her thumb. While the gash was being bandaged, the reporters heard smashing in the kitchen. A wine glass had apparently escaped the locked cabinet and shattered on the floor. They saw an egg twirling through the air go through the living room door to crack against the sideboard. A giant chunk of coral rose from the gate, settled across the room inches from the head of one of the reporters, and smacked into the wall. The house seemed to be under siege from itself. Less Don and George were at home, but as far as the pictorial men could tell, none of them were responsible for the phenomena. The object seemed to be propelled by an unseen force. So in a September 19th, 2020 article in The Guardian called, quote, The Housewife, The Ghost Hunter, and The Poltergeist, it says, and I believe this was written by somebody that knew Nanor Fodor before he threw the ring into the volcano thing. <laughs> in January 20... In January 2017, I visited the Society for Psychical Research Archive in Cambridge to look up some references to the ghost hunter Nandor Fodor, who had investigated the case of Alma Fielding and the Croydon poltergeist. I didn't expect to find anything directly relevant. Fodor had been working for a rival organization, the International Institute for Psychical Research, whose papers were said to have been destroyed by German bombs. But when the documents were delivered to the university library's manuscripts room, I discovered that they were indeed Fodor's original records. The SPR must have acquired the International Institute's archive when the smaller organization was disbanded in the 40s. To my delight, one of the files turned out to be Fodor's dossier on Alma, mistakenly cataloged as Mr. Fielding. The manila folder contained transcript... Transcripts? <laughs> The manila folder contained transcripts of Fodor's interviews and seances with Elma, lab reports, x-rays, copies of her contracts, scribbled notes, sketches, photographs of the damage caused by the poltergeist in her house and on her body. From Alma's story, Fodor had deduced, to the horror of his colleagues, that repressed memories could generate terrifying physical events. And at that time, they didn't really think of the idea of telekinetic yeah that it yeah. Would, this was all demonic or ghosts mm -hmm. or whatever a jewish hungarian emigre fodor had thrown himself into the 30 supernatural scene he joined the ghost club and the london spiritualist alliance befriended members of the fairy investigation society contributed articles to the spiritist weekly called light spiritualism was big business in britain so you're <laughs> okay we're getting to your spiritualism <laughs> yep. The faith offered something tremendous, said Arthur Conan Doyle, author mm -hmm. of 
Sherlock Holmes, a breaking down of the walls between two worlds, a call of hope and of guidance to the human race at a time of its deepest affliction. After the terrible losses of the First World War and the influenza pandemic of 1918, thousands of spiritualist seance circles had been established by the bereaved. There was so much fakery, though, in the yes. in the 30s yes. spiritualism stuff. Mm-hmm. Like some of the some of advantage. the pictures of the people with the ectoplasm, ectoplasm mm-hmm. and whatever. It's like, oh my god. In effect, a seance was a voluntary haunting, a summoning of ghosts at which the dead would speak through mediums, rap on tables, and sometimes even let themselves be touched, smelt, or seen. These forms of contact seem hardly more outlandish than methods that have become commonplace since the war. Soon predicted Fodor, quote, the mechanism of psychic communication will be understood and used with the same facility as the wireless and the telephone. That hasn't happened yet. Fodor, having read the work of Sigmund Freud, was becoming skeptical about spiritualism. He believed that supernormal paraphernalia. Supernormal? That's what it says. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's like paranormal. Really, really mundane. (laughs) He believed that supernormal phenomena might be caused not by the shades of the dead, but by the unconscious minds of the living. And he sensed that Alma Fielding was the perfect subject on whom to test his theories. When Fodor took Alma to the International Institute in Kensington, he and his colleagues saw a diamond brooch materialize from thin air, then an ancient oil lamp, a white mouse, a scarab beetle, and then a Japanese sparrow. A Javanese sparrow. She seemed able to astrally project herself from Croydon to Kensington and then back again and to open herself to spirit possession. So now she's not just a poltergeist victim, she can astral project, astral project and get possessed and whatnot. To assess her powers, Fodor used all the modern methods at his disposal. Voice recorders, telephones, cameras, x-rays, chemical analysis, hypnosis. X-rays? X-rays, chemical analysis, hypnosis, and finally word association tests. He gathered witness statements and transcribed Alma's dreams, sent investigators to track her movements, and he laid traps. If Alma's phenomena were tricks, he wanted to know how she was pulling them off. If not, he needed to understand the psychic mechanisms by which they were generated. I like this guy because he's not going with the idea that this is ghosts. Yeah. Like, he's actually very forward. I'm going to take everything in my arsenal. He's kind of like uh, John Keel or Jacques Vallée that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Fodor noticed that Alma often seemed detached from herself when a weird event took place, and he wondered if if at such moments her buried life surged to the surface and broke out. He was intrigued by the phenomena of mental disassociation, which had been observed both in mediums and in victims of shell shock. Fodor wondered whether Alma's psyche had fractured under pressure of a forbidden emotion. Perhaps she underwent spells of amnesia in which she unconsciously carried out supernatural tricks, or perhaps her Mm. estranged alter ego was escaping her body altogether, snapping and cracking itself into being as an external physical force. That's a creepy mental image. In March, Fodor... I like this one. (laughs) Is this the one that I laughed at? Yeah. In March, Fodor arranged a day trip to Bognor Regis with Alma and four members of the Institute... Alma, in skittish spirits, agreed to see if her poltergeist could steal a ring from the local branch of Woolworths. At the jewelry counter in the Bangor Woolies, Fodor and his party watched Alma select a ring with two stones on a curved bridge, examine it, and then hand it back to the assistant. It was the nicest ring there. Alma told the assistant she didn't want to buy it today. The shop girl eyed them suspiciously as they walked away. It looked fishy to her, wrote Fodor. She followed us. She began to feel uncomfortable. As the group turned into a road near the shop, Alma said that she heard a rattle in the box that she was carrying. Fodor took the box from her, opened it, and found the ring that she had been handling. 
My flesh creeped, he said. Everyone was staggered. All of them swore that they had seen the ring still on the jewelry counter as they left. Fodor later said, quote, The experience was rather alarming. We had committed psychic shoplifting. That's weird. Psychic shoplifting. shoplifting. Yeah, because they took the ring, like the ring materialized in the box sure. that she was carrying. Mm-hmm. But that could have been sleight of hand. I mean, yes. you know, like... This, I don't know if this will get me grief from people, but like Yuri Geller is supposedly the one that can bend stuff with his mind. Like a lot of the stuff that he does is like sleight of hand tricks. Mm. It's not really genuine. Mm-hmm. Fodor's fellow ghost hunter, Maud Folks, said that she longed for ghosts in the same way that she yearned for the quote, unspoiled country of yesteryear, a land untainted by roadhouse pubs and electricity pylons. But Fodor was not bound by the snobbery or nostalgia of his adopted country. Far from sneering at poltergeist, he liked them. And where others might see Alma as typical of her class and gender, irrational, opportunistic, and sly, to Fodor, she was ingenious, complex, and fun. He guessed that she sometimes faked phenomena in order to retain the researcher's interest, but he forgave such lapses. He had no doubt that her terror at the original poltergeist activity was genuine, and he understood why an imaginative, working-class woman might resort to supernatural hoaxing. So even he thinks that she's hoaxing some of the stuff. and that's where Some it, of it. That's where it gets... And we're going to get to that in the last case that we're going to talk about that, you know, spoiler, they found out that some of that stuff was being faked. And mm-hmm. then you have to throw the whole you do. case into question. Maybe it is yeah. a hoax, you know, and that's what's frustrating about these. Alma's days were a repetitive round of domestic chores relieved only by forays to the shops and cups of teas with friends. She had to dust and polish, to darn, sew and knit, launder and iron, cook meals for her family, sweep hearths and floors, fetch coal, lay fires, scrub pots and pans. British women, she, had, Cinderella? <laughs> British women had enjoyed a spell of freedom during and immediately after the war when many of them went out to work, but the popular press now encouraged women just to stay at home. But for a woman with psychic powers, different rules applied. A medium could undertake extravagant feats of mobility, astral projection, transfiguration, time travel, levitation, and in doing so escape the constraints of her gender and her class. The American writer Charles Fort noticed that poltergeist often emanated from those who had no direct power, including women, servants, adolescents, and children. In the event of a world war, I love this, and this is like, I want to use this for a movie idea. In the event of a world war, Charles Fort even suggested in his book Wild Talents that a squad of poltergeist girls might be deployed against enemy troops. Hmm. He imagined the scene, both futuristic and archaic, in which the girls combined their violent gifts, saying, quote, A regiment could burst into flames and the soldiers are torches. Horses snort smoke from the combustion of their entrails. Dang. So yeah, having like a group of adolescent girls unleash their poltergeists on the enemy. I think that's such a cool idea. Uh-huh. I'm surprised the government has already, hasn't already tried to harness uh, who knows, this. Who knows, that they, who knows that they haven't, you know? Every week that spring, the press carried warnings about Hitler and Mussolini's belligerence and the reports of the British government's frantic efforts to shore up the country's defenses. The threat of war touched everyone. Alma's husband, Les, had been injured in the last war. He still woke in terror from trench dreams, and their only son, Don, was likely to be called up in the next. And they're thinking that's why she's starting to, like, her worry and anxiety is Mm -hmm. starting to manifest as that. Sure. As summer approached, Fodor intensified his efforts to unearth the childhood trauma that might explain Alma's poltergeist. In his desperation, he stepped up his surveillance and he resorted increasingly to deception. He was convinced that a repressed memory was responsible for the storm of violence in Alma's home. Supernatural events, he believed, embodied the splintering and contradiction of a traumatic experience. 
A ghost conjured the uneasy sense that something both was and was not real, that an event reoccurred as if it were outside time and undead. Fodor's colleagues were appalled when they learned of his conclusions about Alma's hauntings. In the autumn of 1938, they kicked him out of the International Institute and confiscated his papers. These were the papers that I found in the Cambridge archive. The fat folder of evidence seemed to me a wonderful object, a documentary account of fictional and magical events, a historical record of the imagination. Some of Fodor's methods were troubling, but I was moved by his refusal to condemn Alma as a maniac or as a fraud. By the time that Fodor's book about the Thornton Heath poltergeist was published in 1958, psychical research was no longer taken seriously by most scientific thinkers. But the ideas still persist today, such as in Stephen King's novels Carrie, in which a humiliated teenager's suppressed feelings erupt in supernatural violence, and The Shining, in which ghosts are awakened by the obsessions of the living. To the question of whether a haunting was real or fantasied, psychological or supernatural, the answer given by these Stephen King stories was both. A ghost could be imagined into being from a feeling repressed so forcefully that it acquired uncanny powers. As Elizabeth Bowen once wrote, quote, our irrational darker selves demand familiars. Hmm. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Like he was, con- he was convinced that what had happened to her in the house was real and that she was kind of starting to hoax some of the stuff just to keep them interested. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of like the whole ghost hunters thing where they start out genuine mm-hmm. and then as the show goes on, they demand more and more and more. So then they start to kind of fake stuff. Yep. I agree but with those that. are the two Thornton Heath poltergeists. So I, one cause believed believed to be caused by a ghost, and one yes. cause to believe by somebody's powers manifesting. So I wouldn't call the first one a poltergeist case at all. That nope. to me is just a haunting. Okay, but the second one that's classic poltergeist. That's totally classic poltergeist. Yeah. And the third one, the third famous one, is the Enfield poltergeist. Yeah. And I most think people, everyone knows everyone about knows that this one. one because of the pictures of the girls supposedly levitating from the beds. Mm-hmm. Did you see? Have you seen those pictures? I, yeah, I think so supposedly supposedly mm-hmm. uh i don't know what to make of this one but a lot of this comes from two different articles a january 24th 2022 article on all that is interesting.com called quote inside the terrifying enfield haunting that inspired the movie the conjuring 2 and an article on the den of geek website which i actually go to a lot den, for, of, den of geek? geek i go there a lot for like reviews of shows that i like from february 6 2021 called quote the conjuring 2's enfield case a true story that still haunts us today and i've never seen the conjuring 2 it's good is it mm-hmm. in the conjuring 2 i just remember i have a crush on the actress that plays lorraine warren mm. yeah and her daughter her and her daughter that was on uh american horror story that's her sister no no. They're sisters. They're not. That's her daughter. The one that was on American They're Horror sisters. Story? Tessa? Yep. Tessa? F- no. Because I saw an article on siblings who are really far apart in age, and I swear they were one of those relationships. Huh. You're right. Yeah. I it's thought crazy. this whole time that that was her daughter. They have like a, it's like a 20-year difference or something Dang, crazy like I would that. Have, yeah. I would have bet my life that yeah. Tessa was Vera's daughter. I only daughter. know that because I saw that article. Wow. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Wow. I love that they both kind of lean towards the, the paranormal stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're both like really good actresses. Yeah. Oh, I agree. You know. Totally. I think I follow both of them on Instagram, actually. And I think <sighs> the the younger one. <laughs> I Tessa. don't know her. Thank Tessa. you. She was in, was it, so it was like an offshoot of The Conjuring. It was the one about the nun. The nun. I think it was called The Nun. <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah. It's creepy. Huh. Dang. 
Yeah, Just weird, blew my right? mind. I would have bet my life that she mm-hmm. was that was her daughter. Anyway, in The Conjuring 2, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren travel to England to investigate the Enfield haunting. Though the film is fictional, the alleged haunting in North London did, did take place in the 1970s. Again, the 70s was like a weird, right. it's a a weird, weird era decade for, for Poltergeist. For yep, sure, yep, your mic is sure still Poltergeist on. Poltergeist didn't turn my mic off. <laughs> Two hours in. I just have such a weird obsession with checking my mic. I've I've caught myself doing this a couple of times too, and I think it's catchy. It's contagious or something. During that time, a single mother named Peggy Hodgson and her four children reported a series of bizarre incidents that happened in their home. More than 30 eyewitnesses later backed them up, describing items that flew through the air, matches that spontaneously burst into flames, and the voice of an old man that spoke through one of Hodgson's young daughters. Over time, some have come to see the Enfield poltergeist as concrete evidence of the paranormal, but others believe that the entire haunting was orchestrated by the family who lived in the home. According to Peggy Hodgson, the haunting of her home at 284 Green Street, Enfield in North London began in August of 1977. Peggy, who lived there with her four children, Margaret, 12, Janet, 11, Johnny, 10, and Billy, 7, claimed that she first knew something was up after there was a crash upstairs. When Peggy went to investigate, she found Margaret and Janet cowering in the corner of her bedroom. Janet said, quote, we told our mom that the chest of drawers was moving toward the bedroom door, and the mom said, oh, don't be silly. But the chest then slid across the room. I just couldn't believe it, Peggy said. In fact, I pushed it back twice, and the third time, I couldn't even move it. As a strange knocking noise seemed to spread throughout the house, Peggy went to get help. She first reached out to a neighbor and then the police. When police constable Carolyn Heaps arrived on the scene, she said that she witnessed a chair moving on her own, saying, quote, It came off the floor, maybe a half inch, I should say, and I saw it slide off to the right about three and a half to four feet before it came to rest. And that's when you have to wonder if people like witness these things, you know? It's not like it's just a family, like a, a right, constable witnessed witness the it. chair moving. So mm-hmm. is it fake? I don't know. And with that, the Enfield haunting had just begun. As time went on, the strange events at 284 Green Street seemed to escalate. The Hodgsons repeatedly suffered all manner of strange happenings in the house for the next 18 months, including furniture being overturned, toys being thrown, banging noises, writing appearing on the walls, and even levitating children. In 2012, Janet told ITV via People magazine that cups would inexplicably fill with water, things would randomly burst into flame, and that disembodied voices would speak to them too. According to Janet, quote, the most frightening encounter was when a curtain wrapped itself around my neck next to my bed. Peggy eventually turned to the press for help, reaching out to the Daily Mirror. The tabloid sent a photographer, Graham Morris, to the house to capture the hauntings, and that's when all hell broke loose. The Enfield case might be one of the best documented paranormal cases in history thanks to Morris's disturbing pictures of his visit to the Hodgson house. Among these images is a photo of Janet being tossed across her bedroom by the poltergeist while her sister Margaret watches in horror. There's a lot of pictures. This you see online. If you look I'm up, I'm gonna Google it. Right? Do a Google image search on Enfield. It's gonna also be in the teaser picture for this episode. Okay. But there's tons of pictures. But everybody says it's just a girl jumping off the bed. Mm. I guess I have to see how she's positioned. While she's, she's positioned like there. she's jumping off the bed. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh. Yeah. It looks like she's just... Jumping off the bed. I mean, the old... Oh, that's crazy, though. And she's clearly moving forward because her hair is... Yeah. So it's not like she's going backwards, yeah. which would be harder to fake, I think. Yeah. It's, it's a creepy photo, but yeah, it doesn't really it's look... It's a creepy photo in like that 70s photo sort of yeah, way. Yeah, black and white. And 
There are a couple. There's that's weird. There's a bunch of different ones. Huh. You know, there's one where I think it's the mom like looking on with like a surprised look on her face. So if it is hoaxed, is that the one with the mom looking on? Well, it's the. There's kid a in bunch the bed. of them. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Oh yeah. Okay, so there's multiple pictures where she appears to be in the same position in the air, but her her arms are in a different spot and the people around her are in a different Yeah. But so, she's in the same yeah. spot. So they would have had to take yeah, the picture. Yeah, but that's like what I don't get times. is that I, they're they're saying that this this what's his name? Graham Morris, the photographer, caught these. So then wouldn't he wouldn't he have just been like the girl's just jumping off the bed. You would it, think. It, yeah, you would you think. Were in on it. So I don't know. Among these images is a photo of Janet being tossed across her bedroom by the poltergeist while her sister Margaret looks on in horror. As you might suspect if you've watched The Conjuring 2, it's very possible that the picture is staged. Janet jumping off of her bed onto the floor, but we can only go by Morris's account here and he seemed convinced. Morris later said of his visit, quote, It was chaos. Things started flying around and people were screaming. Morris himself got hit by a flying Lego. The Daily Mirror and the Hodgkins next caused the paranormal investigators of the Society of Psychical Research, including Maurice Gross and Anita Gregory, along with Guy Lyon Playfair. <laughs> That's sure. like the best name ever. Guy Lyon Playfair, who is not depicted in the movie. Hmm. Gross later told writer Will Storr about the first few days of his investigation, quote, When I first got there, nothing happened for a while. Then I experienced Lego pieces flying across the room and marbles, and the extraordinary thing was when you picked these things up, they were hot. I was standing in the kitchen, and a t-shirt jumped off the table and flew into the other side of the room while I was standing next to it. That's interesting because in the first story, yeah, they talk the, about the, the pebbles stones were, hot. were warm. The, the pebbles were hot. Hmm. Then the poltergeist decided to speak. Which would suggest it's energy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or it's in somebody's pocket. Sure. Then the poltergeist decided to speak. As in the movie, the ghost of Bill Wilkins reached out to the investigators through Janet, a raspy voice emanating from the little girl while her, quote, lips hardly seemed to be moving. The spirit told Gross and Playfair that it had died of a hemorrhage in the living room. Investigators later confirmed with Wilkins' son that a man by that name had indeed died in the house many years before, according to the Daily Mail. Eerily, the Enfield poltergeist seemed particularly focused on 11-year-old Janet. I was used and abused, Janet recalled. Some unknown force, she said, yanked her through the air and forced her to levitate. Additionally, Janet began speaking in the gravelly voice of an older man. Quote, just before I died, I went blind, and then I had a hemorrhage, and I fell asleep, and I died in the chair in the corner downstairs, the voice said through Janet on recorded audio. Chillingly, a former occupant of the house named Bill Wilkins had died that exact same way years earlier. By 1978, the so-called Enfield haunting had attracted the attention of American paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. As depicted in the Conjuring 2 film, the Warrens came to England to investigate. Though their involvement was not as expansive as it was in the film, the Warrens did study the case and concluded that it was an authentic haunting. Ed Warren later said, quote, Now, you couldn't record the dangerous, threatening atmosphere inside that little house, but you could film the levitations, teleportations, and dematerializations of people and objects that were happening there, not to mention the many hundreds of hours of tape recordings made of these spirit voices speaking out loud in the rooms. In total, over 30 people also claimed to have experienced some kind of paranormal event during the Enfield haunting. They included reporters, police officers, lawyers, psychic researchers, and of course the Hodgson family. But not everyone was convinced that the Enfield poltergeist was real. Some believed that Janet and her siblings faked the entire thing. 
a magician named Milborn Christopher dropped by to check things out and said that the activity was the work of, quote, a little girl who just wanted to cause trouble and who was very, very clever. Ray Allen, a ventriloquist, said Janet was playing tricks with Bill's voice because she enjoyed the attention. Perhaps most damning, investigators... Was she a trained ventriloquist? No. (laughs) Perhaps most damning, (laughs) investigators once caught the children bending spoons. Society Mm. for Psychical Research members Maurice Gross observed Janet banging a broom handle on the ceiling and then hiding his tape recorder. Janet admitted to doing that, but said that she and her siblings were just trying to see if anyone could tell the difference. And right there, it's like, (laughs) that's a red flag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Janet insists that they only faked paranormal events just like 2% of the time. I know. <laughs> Again, it it, sh- it casts doubt on everything. It then. does, but then there were so many witnesses, but yeah. then the witnesses are already kind of in the mindset that something is going on, so right. they might be more susceptible to hoaxing. Right. The family's defenders also point out that Peggy Hodgson had nothing to gain from spreading the story. As the Daily Mirror photographer Morris put it, quote, checkbook journalism didn't exist at the time. You weren't paid for your stories at the time. Hmm. In any case, the hauntings trickled to a mysterious end in 1979. Though the family says that they sometimes experience slightly strange things after the haunting, like odd noises, nothing extreme happened in later years. That said, their chilling experiences have stuck with them to this day. Years later, Janet called the event she lived through in that house traumatic, revealing that she had a short spell at a psychiatric hospital and that she was bullied at school, where her classmates called her, quote, ghost girl. She told Daily Mail that her mother also had a nervous breakdown. It stays with you every step of the way, Margaret said. It's just like a death, really. It gets a little easier as time goes on, but the fear and the memories of what happened never leave you. Hmm. And Janet, who experienced most of the hauntings, dismissed the view of skeptics who say that she and her family made up the Enfield poltergeist. I don't care what they think, said Janet. I know what happened, and I know it was real. And then a June 2016 article on timeout.com called, quote, Five reasons why London's most famous poltergeist case is a hoax, says, number one, the two sisters at the center of the case admitted to hoaxing some of the poltergeist activity. Mm -hmm. Chris French said, the girls admitted they faked stuff. Of course, people who believe them say, well, they might have faked some of it, but some of it must be real. Believers tend to think, we're too clever to be hoaxed by schoolgirls. But just because you didn't figure out how something was done doesn't mean that it was impossible to do. Magicians have been doing it for centuries. Number two, a classic photo of 11-year-old Janet levitating could easily just be Janet jumping. There's lots of evidence to suggest that she's not just hovering in midair. People have reproduced the image at home, jumping up and down on a bed. This case isn't strong, but it's a good story. Number three, the spirit of the old man Bill who possessed Janet seemed to be obsessed with menstruation. When Janet was supposedly possessed by the spirit of an old man, he took a lot of interest in menstruation. That's not something you'd really expect an old man to be interested in, but a young girl, of course. There are just so many question marks hanging over the case. Number four, eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable. We go into that a lot in other episodes, Mm too. Yeah. Witnesses in the Enfield Poltergeist case include a policewoman who swore she saw a chair move across the room. Chris French says, quote, We've researched the unreliability of eyewitnesses. We've been able to show the power of suggestion and experiments in controlled conditions. To give you one example, we carried out a study where we showed people a video of an alleged psychic who was actually a magician doing a spot of psychokinetic metal bending, the stuff that made Yuri Geller famous. After bending the key by sleight of hand, he puts the key back on the desk and says, if you look closely, you'll see it's still bending. Typically, 40% of people that watch that report that they do see it bending. 
Conjurers have known about this stuff for centuries. Psychologists are coming to it a bit late in the day. And finally, number five, it wouldn't be the first case of a schoolgirl prank that got out of hand. French says, quote, I strongly suspect it was Janet and her sister behind it. There are other cases where schoolgirl pranks have gotten out of hand. What essentially starts as a little trick grows and grows. Outside people get involved, and then it's very difficult to backtrack. So my money would be on those two girls. There were investigations by people who were convinced that the girls were doing all of these things themselves and that it was nothing more than attention-seeking behavior. And so did their mom not know well, this and she was believed? In on it. She was, in, she on was it. in on it. Okay. So that's what I have. Mm-hmm. That is poltergeists. What do you think? I mean, poltergeists have been reported on for a very long yeah. time. I, I, I don't question that they're real. I think I understand I think my theory and the most popular theory is that it's telekinesis. That's what I totally believe. Though I went mm-hmm. into this thinking ghosts, and I totally don't. I, I think that it's it's some kind of repressed. I mean, when you're when you have feelings and anxieties and fears and anger that are so repressed, it has to lash out some somewhere. Way. And yeah. I think that's how it. I think I totally now think that it is some kind of mm-hmm. psychokinetic. I think it's rare though, because I think you have to have that. A predisposition to having that capability first yeah. like everybody has stress we're not all manifesting no, there's like a fact and I, there's like a factor x and yes. I, I hesitate calling it that because the only reason i call stuff like that factor x is because of the btk killer oh. who called like in interviews <laughs> calls that his his need to kill is factor mm. x but it's like some factor I in those certain concept, people though. that yeah can lash out and again Mm -hmm. it's this idea that everybody has latent psychic powers and that some people might just be able to manifest them stronger than other people do Mm -hmm. but now it weirds me out working with pubescent kids because (laughs) they can just whip me down the hallway if i get them mad you know i feel like even that sort of thing is even more rare though you know what if what if the stuff in my apartment was like repressed my scratches are repressed anxiety or fear or something what if it's not some kind of spirit you know, it's a lot to think about. Yeah, I mean, but you it really saw is. something. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't follow you. And you've certainly had a lot of stress since Good then. Good point. <laughs> Good point. That felt like a haunting to yeah. me. But I, but it, what sucks is that like in almost all three of these cases I talked, there's some hint of deception. Mm, yes. You know, like like what's his name? Fodor, uh, Fivel or Bilbo, whatever his name was. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't make fun of the guy. Uh, but like <laughs> he suspected Alma of yeah. trickery. Yep. You know, and she kind of tr- did some trickery. Yes. But he still believed her. And this last one, the Enfield one, sounds like a lot of trickery and they got caught doing trickery. Mm-hmm. You and know, there's the, the, the one that I'm going to, I saved like that, the really interesting one I saved for a side session or for a, a, a mini, mini mystery. mystery. There was recorded deception. So oh. I mean, deception shows up a lot. Yeah. But then there's so many eyewitnesses that, I mean, I get that eyewitnesses can be predisposed to believe that they're seeing something paranormal, but 30 people witnessing stuff? Or yeah. what about the gravel falling? You yeah, know? that's weird. How do you What how about do you the hoax priest that? saying that the knife flew through the air and stopped a foot away from his chest? Yeah, how do you hoax that? You I know, mean, and I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. This one is, this one is hard. Like, I, I, the one that's the most plausible to me is that first one with the gravel and stuff but you know yeah i don't know but i do now believe that it is more a psychokinetic thing than an actual ghost encounter Mm -hmm. so yeah 
there are poltergeists. It's fascinating, no matter how you look at it. Was this okay? I know you were looking forward yeah, to the poltergeist yeah, definitely, stuff. Definitely, definitely. It's mm-hmm. just really interesting. I don't know what to make of it. Jump to songs. What do you guys think? What do you guys think of poltergeists? Have you experienced any poltergeists? Any gravel flying through your kitchen? Mm. If you have, let us know because we are going to have a listener stories episode yes. coming up in the sometime this nearish season. future. Yep. Jump into songs. Uh, the first song. This is a suggested. A Stranger Suggested oh, yes. nice. Song. Okay. And this is by Carl Wagner. Okay. Who wanted... Hey, Carl. Thank you so What's much up, for... Carl? I think nobody else has really suggested one. Carl's awesome. I no, Carl. we had the... I know, but nobody oh, this last time. since then. Yeah, since then. I love okay. Carl. Carl's awesome. But he suggested the song Althea by the Grateful Dead. Ooh. Uh, some of the YouTube comments, somebody said, quote, easily one of the dopest guitar riffs ever. It's sad that not many humans know about it. On the other hand, that's what makes it so special. Somebody else says, quote, this song showcases Jerry's crisp guitar and gentle, soothing voice. Hunter's lyrics are sublime, a beautiful rendition. Somebody else says, quote, masters of the relaxed groove, positive vibes and happy sounding tunes. Let the dead live forever. Somebody else says, quote, one of the greatest songs ever made. So I've seen the dead. Did they do Althea? See, I don't, I'm not great with names I'm of amazed songs. by how many people named their daughters Althea after oh, this song. Really? Like so many in the comments, so many people named, were like, I was named after this hmm. song. Yeah, like, I'm, the not, Grateful I'm Dead not great just, with the names of songs, so I probably know it. I just don't know the name. But of course, I saw the dead after Jerry Garcia was gone. Yeah. After he died. I think they went from being the Grateful Dead to just the dead after he yeah. passed, but... I'm just like, people are wired to either like them or be like, uh, about them. And I'm, uh, mm-hmm. about the Grateful Dead. I have a lot of appreciation for the Grateful Dead. See, they just don't do it for me. Hmm. And I'm not saying they're a bad band, you know, but on the other hand, I really like... It's definitely a genre you have to Yeah, but I also love, like, like some of my favorite songs are by the Allman Brothers, where it's just like the long guitar solos. That's Southern Rock that has a jam bandy kind of Southern Rock because we're going to get into Southern next one. I've seen the Allman Brothers too. That was an amazing show. I'm a little jealous. Like they do like one of my all time. I love the Allman Brothers. One of my all time favorite songs is a song Blue Sky by Allman Brothers which is like a summer. That is like the summer song. You're my Yeah. With like the long guitar solos Mm -hmm. like the amazing guitar solos. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not a guitar solo guy but those like in the song Blue Sky like if you never listen to. I can hear it right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a perfect summer song. Drive around with your windows down just a happy and we saw them at a happy what, summery song what used to be called the marcus at the Summerfest yeah. ground so it's an outdoor yep. amphitheater and a, yeah that was a great i believe great that is where i saw a triple sh- a triple bill with who was the third who were the third people oh it was queensrike i love queensrike oh, the 80s band queensrike throwback it was queensrike rob halford from judas priest and iron maiden oh dang yeah wow. like I, iron maiden are i love iron maiden and I, i'm glad that they're starting to get the respect now that they kind of didn't back in mm. the day you know like iron maiden were an amazing are an amazing band but that was a really good show but i believe that was at the marcus too mm. But, it's called uh, something else now, I'm of course. I'm jealous because I'd love to see like the Allman Brothers. Like I love, if you've never heard the song Blue Sky by the Allman Brothers, so one of my all-time favorite songs. I listened to Althea and it was good, but I just, I don't have that gene that lets me really love the dead, hmm. I guess. I It's definitely a very specific style of music, yeah, for it sure. Is. So thank you, Carl, for suggesting that. I'll have that video in the group. And now for my video that I, I, I didn't know what video to do for this or what song to do for this one. So I was listening to some of my music and this came on and I'm like, I love this song. So my, th- you know, here's the thing. I'm like a Northern 
Midwestern boy. Mm-hmm. I am not mm-hmm. a Southern boy by any stretch. <laughs> I'm about as Yankee as you can get, you know? I'm just a dopey Northern Midwestern guy, and I'll never be mistaken for being Southern, but the thing is, I've always loved the mystique that being Southern has. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know, like our postcard from, from Matt that says y'all. Once people mm-hmm. say y'all, like there's something... There's something very romantic There's something about very it. romantic yep. about the Southern mystique and mm-hmm. i just have always loved that i just think it's so cool like i'm a little jealous of that like i just love it you know and i've been down south i've been through louisiana i've been through kentucky i've I been love through tennessee books that take place in, in the south like, faulkner, like a lot of faulkner books yes yeah like it, it's just one of those things that i've always loved i mean don't get me wrong i mean this the south comes with some bad stuff oh yes too, for sure but there's just something noble about it i don't know mm-hmm. how to explain it i've just always loved saying. it so my song I picked for this week is a Southern band singing about being Southern. I think this is from one of the best bands of the last few decades, and I feel like they're kind of underrated. I mean, people know them, but I feel like they don't get the credit that they deserve. To me, this song is like a song for summer days, driving with the windows down and heading on your way to a barn party at somebody's farm. I mean, that's what this song's kind of about. Some of the YouTube comments for this song, quote, this song makes me miss the South and I'm not even American. <laughs> Which oh, that's I like. funny. Quote, the intro is so calming. It gives me the soft feeling of home. Somebody else says, quote, this song is more country than 99% of music that is released under the country label nowadays. Beautiful song. <laughs> Somebody else says, quote, I love it. It reminds me of all the parties that I don't get invited to. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else says, quote, it makes me miss warm summer nights, parties outside, drinking beer, sounds of soft guitar, people laughing, feeling at home, and even the smell of summer. Somebody else says, quote, The greatest part of the song is the fact that it's so genuine. The fact that you can actually hear the drums pounding, the guitar strumming, and Caleb singing genuinely is such a rarity in this industry. This really means something in today's, quote, music. It's unfortunate to see so many artists out there with nothing to offer, yet they're in the spotlight. Seriously, thank you guys for always and forever being the type of band that artists and other bands should strive to be. Not only do you all play music, but you understand it. And it is the song Back Down South by the band Kings of Leon. Oh, Kings of like, Leon. Like, I love. I like but them. But so, I can really appreciate they're very them. Divisive, divisive that people love their... You either love early Kings of Leon and hate what they became uh, or okay. you love new Kings of Leon because we watched a documentary on them once there was a lot of like drama yeah there is a lot of drama but their their old stuff is very experimental and their new stuff yeah. is very radio pop oh, friendly yeah but I got into I them. love his voice yeah I do too I got into them when uh, Sex on Fire mm-hmm. came yep. out because I was like dang this is a good song mm-hmm. and then Aaron got into them and then Aaron got all their music so then he gave me all their music and they're just like, they're one of those bands that like I get their new album. There's like three or four songs on there that are just breathtakingly good. And the rest is like, eh, you know, but that's, that's kind of how they are. But their what good like, songs are so damn good that it just blows my mind how good they are. What I appreciate about them is they really had, have a sound that's specific they to do them. like so many so many of these like the comments on youtube said when you hear that first guitar you're like oh this must be kings of leon 100 percent. you know i love and this is like just that. the song back down south by them is just such a good summer party at somebody's farm song and it's a very southern sounding song but damn they make me wish i was southern like i love kings of leon and they make me wish i was southern. so where are they from 
I believe Texas. Okay. No, I, I'm with you. I, I really... And I wouldn't call them Southern Rock, but it has... They're from Nashville, Tennessee, actually. Okay. So, yeah. It has a feel to it that I know... I know. They're not Southern Rock in the way no, that, like that the Leonard Allman Skinner Brothers or is Leonard Southern Skinner, Rock. Right. But they have a Southern... They have a sound. Yeah. There's something about it. Yeah. yeah I know and there's so mean. many songs that people don't know mm-hmm. by them that are just like such good songs that in a in just world, they would have been like a hit. And like I feel like yours is underappreciated. Like I love Kings of Leon. I want to my- say I stumbled across a video of them on YouTube at live doing Leonard Skinner's oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Simple Man, which yep. is one of my favorite Skinner songs. And it was like amazing. Yeah. Like they're so good. They're so talented. Yeah. You know, they'll do really good rock songs. They'll do really good slow songs. But my song choice for this episode is the song Back Down South by the band Kings of Leon. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check that out. I was going to mention two shows on Netflix. That seems to be what I do is talk about what I'm watching on Netflix. The first one's kind of funny. I've never watched Supernatural. Have you ever watched Supernatural? The first couple episodes, but I, everybody tells me I need to watch it, but I just never got into it. Well, I know I love Castile. It's now officially <laughs> over. Like It's no longer a show. They had their final season or whatever, and... I'm I'm like five or six episodes in. I think my barrier to watching this show has always been Jared Padalecki, who plays Sam, which is ironic because his brother on the show is named Dean. He played Dean in the Gilmore Girls. And I'm sorry to all the Team Dean people. I was never Team Dean. I didn't like him. So I had a, I've had a hard time watching Supernatural because he's still Dean in my head, but I'm getting past that now. I'm I'm realizing, okay, he's a different character now. And it's, it's just a fun watch. Mm-hmm. I mean the topics are are fun to see play out like bloody mary was one of the episodes or the hook man was another episode it's fun to see how they take these sort of urban legends or whatever and turn it into a storyline and it's like buffy meets charmed meets vampire slayers you know or vampire diaries It's, it's just kind of a fun watch that has kind of a dark creepy twist to it so i've been watching that and a new show that just came out called echoes that doesn't have at least not so far that I can tell a supernatural twist. It's a total psychological thing. It's so good. Even Jim is like, I'm all in on this. Like he normally doesn't get into the stuff that I watch on Netflix. It's called echoes and it's about these twin sisters and it's very, it's psychological and it's really, really good. I'm still going through person of interest. I love person of interest. That's Jim Caviezel, right? But it amazes me. Like years ago I watched the first season and I love the first season and now I'm on a third season and there's some characters like there are characters on there that you love that were never even in the first season mm. that they did something that I love when shows do this. And I know that listener Michelle is going to watch it because she's, we've been texting and she said she's going to watch it next. So I'm not going to give too many spoilers, but they do something I love in shows where towards the end of the first season, somebody shows up. That's obviously a main baddie, a girl. Like, she's obviously, like, one of the big bads, you know? Okay. And mm-hmm. then I was like, I hate her. She's an actress. I don't want to even say who she is, but she's an actress I genuinely feel like I should like, but I don't. Okay. She's been in other things, so I don't like her. And then she shows up as, like, the big bad. And by the third season, 
she's actually kind of sort of one of the good guys oh, but she's sure. also like obviously like loopy and nuts mm-hmm. and now i love her so she went from being like my least favorite person on the show to like now she's actually my favorite person on the show and i love when they do that mm-hmm. when they make you and especially and that goes script that goes back to spike with buffy like like there has been yes. no better redemption story on a show than spike on buffy the vampire slayer who starts as like a main villain right. and then by the end of the band by You're the end of the series he's like the hero of yeah. the series which is awesome like i and the same with negan like i love that they turned negan people hated him for what he, for him yep. bashing in glenn's I brains with past a, it yet i yeah. love the actor though yeah Big and i actor. love now that that him that he's like a hero and that him and it's a little weird to me that him and maggie are kind of like team mm. you know seeing how he killed her husband yes. with a baseball bat and knocked his really eye out of the socket way yeah but now i but i love redemption stories and i love that they're kind of doing that in person of interest but i'm fascinated by the surveillance stuff mm. which freaks me out and interests me so yeah but i need to check out some of i don't know like now my binge watching is going to kind of slow down because now i'm going to be back at school mm, sure but we got a listener question. Okay. Listener question is an easy one. It's from Anonymous. It says, hey, Kurt and Krista, what is one small, seemingly petty thing that you absolutely hate? Say that again? Hey, Kurt and Krista, what is one small, petty, insignificant thing that you absolutely hate? <laughs> like something's, I'm, I'm taking it as something super minor that you cannot stand. The sound of people eating. Oh, that's ironic because we do Whoa. part of our podcast. Yes. <laughs> I've said this many times that I wouldn't be able to listen to this on another podcast, but I I hate the sound of people eating. Like, it is like something that goes to my soul. And it's such a small thing, but it drives me absolutely... And there's a word for it. I don't know what it's I called. Know, I know the word you're talking about, too. It's the only thing I can either. think of because so it does seem really small and petty. Yes. If I'm also eating, don't care as much. If I'm not eating and someone near me is eating and I can hear it, I just want to <laughs> pull my hair out. So that's mine. I was actually stumped on this until I went through the McDonald's drive-thru this morning. <laughs> because somebody in there, and I'm, hang on, I'll find it. All right, I'm assuming that this is it. I don't know for sure. But it is that stupid, super annoying air horn sound that shows up in commercials. It shows up. Let's see if this is it. If not, I'll edit out till I find it. That. Okay. I I've hate heard that. it. Yeah. I absolutely hate that. And when I went through the McDonald's drive-thru this morning, somebody inside must have had that as their ringtone on their Ugh. phone when they got a text message. It is that that I don't know what it is, but that stupid air horn or air horn sound shows up in songs. It shows up in commercials. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I hate it. Mm-hmm. I literally. It's obnoxious. It's super obnoxious. <laughs> I hate it. You should see the look on Kurt's face. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me yeah. when I hear oh, that stupid funny. song. And that's for me, I heard it's it chewing. I, I don't. Somebody had it. I'm guessing it was their text tone inside mm-hmm. McDonald's, and I heard it, and I was like, starting my day off bad already mm. with that garbage. That's really funny. So that is my big one. I hate that stupid thing. So do not call our voicemail and leave that, or else, or else I will find you. <laughs> I have a Chuck certain Nor- set of we'll skills. Chuck Norris. Speaking after of Chuck, you. speaking of that, Chuck Norris might have something to say about yeah. that. Yeah, uh, I can't remember where I started last time i hope i just started at the beginning How, you, you tell me did i say when an episode of walker Te- texas ranger aired in france the french yes surrendered? that was okay. the first one you did guns don't kill people chuck norris does <laughs> you didn't do that one um chuck norris can eat just one lays potato chip <laughs> 
I think I'll do a page each time okay. just so I don't get confused okay. on what. Okay, that so sounds I did the perfect. first page. Awesome. We are I love an Chuck hour, two hours and 32 minutes in. Thank you, so Stephanie. We should probably shut this We'll down. probably wrap it up now. We have a side <laughs> sessions to do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm super this excited episode. about this one too because this is weird. This is something I want. You might even be able to figure it out from the hints I gave you. They talked about it. Did you give me hints? With Burt Reynolds. <laughs> but oh, I keep. I this go to is Playboy. something that I would never in a million years do. Being Playboy? Well, I would never do that either. <laughs> Playgirl? You and Jim, I could see doing it. Oh, God. Corey, I, no I could see totally. <laughs> Corey, I could totally see doing it. So, yeah, that's wow, what we're going to be talking about. So, we have a whole side sessions coming. And this is one of those things that you would not think that I would be into. Knowing okay. like the stuff I'm into, but I love this. I've always been fascinated by this. Brian Young knows what it is because I told him he should do an episode on it. Well, for I'm the, intrigued. For the history, the, you know, the transatlantic history okay. ramblings, because this is kind of a historical thing. But yeah. I'm lost. So I'm, I'm guessing somebody put it together from all that. Burt Reynolds. Not me. Something I wouldn't be into, but Corey would probably do in a heartbeat. Uh, I might tag along with somebody. And something like kind of historical. So okay. somebody might get it. But anyway, we got to jump into that. So yeah. I feel like our strange sessions are getting longer and longer, but people seem to be okay with the two hours episodes. So we'll shut up now. We'll let you guys go yeah. go about your day. So, and I have to go to the bathroom. So I did too. <laughs> I did too, actually. I was about ready to We've like- down here a while. I was about ready to lower my McDonald's cup <laughs> under the table and just go right here. What is that sound of running water? <laughs> and then totally miss the cup. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, we better forget loopy. We better call this yeah. call this a day. So our deets, you can email us at the strange sessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at strange session without the final S that I haven't looked at in like six years. We are on Instagram where Krista does just a fantabulous job uh-huh. at the strange sessions. Uh-huh. I love our I love our Instagram. Fans. I do. I mean like I'm, I'm getting to know them. I feel kind of bad because I don't really I don't do much. On I do Instagram. too, but our, our Instagram fans, we love you guys. Yes, and you can send us postcards and snail mail. Oh, and thank you, Nikki and Randy, for the package. We are going to open that yes. next time because we believe that's a taste test item. Okay. So send us postcards and snail mail to the Strange Sessions at PO Box four three four, Manitowoc, Wisconsin five four two two one dash zero four three four. And you can call our lonely little phone line at 920-443-9602. Kermie, thank you so yeah, much thanks, for leaving Kermit. us a voicemail. Please nobody email me with that super annoying air horn sound or I will find <laughs> out where you are. And I have a certain set of skills and whatever else he says in the movie. Oh, yeah, taken. Yeah, yeah. So I believe... Particular set of skills. I believe... I don't really have any set of skills. <laughs> but I believe that is it from The Strange Seller. So from Krista and I, until next time, stay, stay strange. strange.